2: Reveille, reveille, dogs! Look at us now, tip to tip This is our life, this is our passion That's the spirit we bring to this show I'm Luke Thomas I'm Brian Campbell This is Morning Combat Oh yeah. Get fired up. It is a hump day. It is MK. No Luke Thomas, but we are still here to bang. You're looking at me. The BBC, the beige guy, Brian Campbell, across from me on this Wednesday, August 15th, 2022, in a loaded morning combat. How about award-nominated Canadian journalist? His aim is true. He's MMA's answer to Elvis Costello. It's A. Braun himself, Aaron Bronstetter. A. B., Always a pleasure, my friend.
0: Well, thank you for having me. And before people email in to correct you, it's actually the 17th of August. So I'm just going to clear that up right now so that you can save yourself from an email on Friday.
2: An early dead wrong, August 17th. I mean, do dates, days really matter right now? Okay, Luke's somewhere with the family enjoying himself, but we're not worried about that guy at the moment. Great to have you, AB. Great to be here in this award-winning podcast. We'll have Rafe Bartholomew, my old friend in the box, on the second half of the show. It's a loaded week, AB. What a time to be alive, my friend. How is everything in the uh, 51st state up there, uh, Canada?
0: You mean the uh, the 10th Island, as Max Holloway calls it. Yeah, everything's great. And you're right. This is a loaded week. Last week was a loaded week with with the trifecta, the Holy Trinity, uh, PFL, Bellator, and the UFC. And now we've got this week you got the Anthony Joshua fight. You got uh, another PFL with Kayla Harrison and uh, Larissa Pacheco looking Mike to Perry? solidify their spots in the finals against one another. The biggest fight that could happen in the PFL right now, in my opinion. And of course, UFC 278. We're loaded. Let's go.
2: Yeah, I mean, are we going to forget BKFC MVP versus Mike Perry? Yeah, we, we got MVP
0: versus Mike Perry okay. as well. That's uh, that's a fun okay. one. We'll Showtime Championship
2: Boxing. I mean, come on. Let's put some respect on all the people that pay us. Hey, how about this shirt? Maybe the biggest day in. Combat sports history. Remember this? The WWE crown jewel? Okay. You know this guy right here? Abron? Hey, okay. Yeah.
0: Tyson Fury. I've heard of him. Uh, yeah. Decent, free- decent pro wrestler against Braun Strowman.
2: Free Kane. There he is right there. All right. What Third a, what is a, a time, a Free Kane, yeah. WWE loved taking that ball. That's like, a, that's money like, like the that combat
0: way. sports event of events. They just needed that Mayweather versus Big Show on that card.
2: Yeah, indeed, indeed. A lot lot of bullshit going on that night. A lot of bullshit going on today, but it'll be important stuff. As A.B. mentioned, we're going to set the stage for UFC 278. PFL's back. Big news with Shane Burgos. The box side of things. New main event for Showtime. And don't forget about Usyk Joshua 2 this weekend. Going to be good times and great oldies, so please support what we do. Like, subscribe. You can find the social channels below for one. Aaron Bronstetter, I'm sure they'll appear eventually, right about now. There it is. Uh, AB, do you like, I mean, look, Adrian Broner, the problem, kind of has that AB nickname on lockdown. Do you like this new wave of calling you A-Bron? It's very Canadian.
0: Yeah, I'll take it. Any nickname. I, I've gotten LeBron. I've gotten Abron. The nicknames will continue to roll.
2: Okay, okay. Great, great, great indeed. Uh, Showtime, the label that pays us, the, the label that puts on great Bellator events Showtime Championship Boxing, fantastic documentaries. I mean, that Bill Cosby thing with Kamala Bell is fantastic. You can get 33 free days today by going to Showtime.com. Tell them BC sent you. You're going to like the way that this streaming service looks on you. I guarantee it. And, you know, pound sand on the end if you don't, but that's your take. Uh, Hey, hey, Abron, did they ever outfit you in merch? We're trying to talk to our closest friends here. You know, the Chuck Mindenhalls, the Rashad Evanses of the world. Do you own any MK merch?
0: They said the shipping to Canada was too much, so they wouldn't send me any.
2: (laughs) No, we have international flat rate shipping now. We will get you outfitted, but uh, the fans know they can go to morningcombat.store, and today is a big day for our merch house. Not only can you get fantastic mugs like this, but the MK Bomber jacket that you may have seen on Luke and BC back in the day on the stream, it is now available for all. Morningcombat.store, it's probably the best shit we ever put out there in the ethosphere, so check that out today but more importantly arguably before we get into the show today it's podcast award season and as you folks already know we're gonna need you if you want to take us to the next level it is the world mma awards have nominated morning combat for best mma programming for the second straight year big upset last year when we pulled it off can we run it back we got joe rogan we got ariel hawani we got all these ufc shows to beat but you can vote for us by hitting that qr code right now You can go to worldmma.com slash nominees. Look, you're a rabid folk out there. You want us to keep rising? Do your part. And A.B., we ain't the only one potentially getting the rub from this award. Is it true? Aaron Bronstetter is up for MMA Journalist of the Year. Is this true? Oh, it's
0: true. It's damn true. And you can go to the nominations. I'd love to get some of that morning combat rub from the feral cats out there, the homeless cats that consume this show. Always excited to uh, be, you know, part of this show. And if, if you guys want to give me the rub, I appreciate that. I'll even thank somebody from the MK staff uh, in my thank you speech if I am uh, successful oh, wow. at, at, at dethroning the king, Ariel Hawani, who uh, has won it, what, like 10 years in a row. But yeah, you know he's what? Won... Enough is enough and it's time for a change.
2: They let John Morgan win it the first year with his blue shirt. Then Ariel's been on a Cal Ripken-like streak but you got some Brady Anderson vibes coming out right now, Abron, okay? So maybe this could be your 50 home run year. Who else are you up against in this, run, in this award?
0: It's uh, Mike Bond, Helwani. So that's the Canadian trifecta with the three of us. Uh, Sean Alshadi, fantastic Ooh, uh, writer. And writer. Um, I'm trying to remember who the last one is. There's, uh, I think it's John Morgan, as, again. So okay. I think that's the, uh, the five that are nominated uh, this year. So uh, a great group to be uh, affiliated with. Just fantastic,
2: fantastic uh, mixed martial arts media members. Maybe this is the year. Maybe. Okay? Upsets do happen in MMA, as, as we've seen, okay? All right? Well, yeah, if, if everybody from
0: that Barry Bonds era, except for Barry Bonds, can get into the Hall of Fame, I, I guess I've got a shot.
2: I mean, do you think Piazza and Jeter touched the stuff? Did they touch it? Well, that's the thing. If you're going to
0: take a couple people from that era and disqualify them, be as... If, if I recall, I don't think Bonds ever, like, actually, did Bonds ever actually really pop? Like, did he ever
2: get suspended? Well, <laughs> the size of his head popped, and well, I think yes. his uh, well, non-realistic okay. stats popped. But, yeah. Listen, if
0: you're yeah. going to put people from that era into the Hall of Fame, what are you taking Bonds and Clemens out of the mix for? It doesn't make any sense.
2: All right. Wow. There it is. A.B. A.B. was going ham on basketball in the pre-show. Now we got some baseball takes. I'm here for it. Uh, Aaron Bronstetter, we are here, though, to set the stage for, as we mentioned, one of the bigger weekends of combat sports in some time. Adrian Broner, not in the showtime main event. We'll get into that a little bit further into this show. But UFC 278 is back this weekend. It's a pay-per-view, Salt Lake City, Saturday night. And a welterweight title rematch. Topic number one takes us into this one. Kamaru Usman versus Leon Edwards, part two. Now, Aaron, they met a long time ago. 2015. Three-round unanimous decision for Kamaru Usman, your defending welterweight champion. Luke and I did a rewatch. And look, did I try to splinter in some bad jokes in the second half to keep people interested? Maybe. It wasn't a thrilling fight. It was wrestle-heavy. It was... Kamaru Usman 1.0 in his second UFC fight, second fight since winning the Ultimate Fighter Tournament. And for Leon Edwards, it was his fourth. But look, AB, this was a preliminary card UFC fight, like early prelim main event back when this fight happened. A lot's changed in seven years. You can hear people say none of what happened in 2015 matters. What say you? Is there anything we can take from that first meeting foundationally That still applies to this rematch all of these years later?
0: I'd say the only thing that applies is the knowledge for Kamaru Usman that he's beaten Leon Edwards in the past. That that will always and same with the the flip side of that, where Leon Edwards knows that he's lost to this guy before. I think that's really the only thing you can take away because if you go back and watch it, these guys are shells of themselves, of what, what they've become. Like, this is the early evolution of these guys. So I think that when you look at what they've become now, it's going to be a completely different fight. But I think the one takeaway for those two guys is the knowledge of what happened in the first fight. Because that's always back there. He's going to be standing across the cage from Kamaru Usman knowing this is the guy who beat me. And Usman's going to have the same thing. He's going to look across the cage, see Leon Edwards, say, we've been here before, and I beat this guy last time. That is something that I don't think you you can block out. But just foundationally, these are two different fighters now. And I think that's what makes this an exciting fight because... We're going to see the best versions of these guys. Edwards hasn't lost since that fight. Usman's never lost in the UFC. So we've got two elite fighters right now going toe-to-toe. And I think that, really, Usman's got a lot to lose here and not a whole lot to gain.
2: That's an interesting take, and I don't disagree with that, especially considering all the talk seems to be focused on if Hamzat Chemayev gets back by Nate Diaz coming up that Look, this is the fight. This is the defining potential welterweight title defense for Usman. And I want to get into Usman and the legacy and all that in a second. He is 15-0 in the UFC. Your pound pound-for-pound king, Leon Edwards. 9-0 with one no contest in the ten fights since their first meeting. But, A.B., you mentioned something there. You said, look, you can't really apply what happened then to now. I wrote a story, uh, you know, looking at the storylines ahead of this card for CBS Sports this week, where I did say this. It's not an apples to apples to comparison. They're both different in many ways. The evolution of Usman's striking speaks loudly since joining forces with Trevor Whitman. But isn't that same foundational lesson we learned that first fight still true, although it depends upon which version of Usman comes out? What I'm really trying to say is we learned in the first fight that we know he's a better wrestler. We know he can control the terms of the fights should he make a consistent push to take Leon Edwards down. You can counter that by saying that one-dimensional wrestler version of Kamaru Usman, he hasn't come around in a while. So I guess I, I bring this up to spin the question back at you and say, would it be more advantageous for Usman to dial back into the guy he used to be for this fight, or do you see him doing the continued trend he's been doing, proving on the feet through his pound-for-pound number one status that he's become an elite, well-rounded fighter?
0: Well, Usman's got a strong fight IQ, and I think you take the path of least resistance. I think you try to take him down and impose your will like he did in that first Masvidal fight. But on the flip side of that, since Edwards lost that first fight, if you look at the champions of the welterweight division, even back to Johnny Hendricks, you look at Woodley and Usman, who have been the champions of this division for, what, the last five, six years, maybe even longer. Uh, I'm terrible at, at... figuring out how long these things have been with the duration. Is. I since don't
2: August let, of 2016 at UFC 201 when Woodley beat Lawler. Okay. Yeah. So, And how many years ago was
0: that? Six. Six. So, yes. The last six years, you've had these guys with NCAA wrestling credentials. So, you have to imagine that since 2015, when Leon Edwards lost to Kamaru, he's been working on takedown defense, drilling takedown defense every single day in the gym and making that a, a fundamental part of his game. So is it going to be easy for Kamaru Usman to Im- impose his will on Leon Edwards and implore imply rather sorry or apply that same game plan from the first fight in this one? I just think they're two different fighters. I think that's something he should attempt to do. He should test the waters there, see if he's able to take Edwards down because I think if he does take Edwards down, it's going to take a lot for Edwards to get back to his feet. That's why I say it's the path of least resistance. It's the easiest way for him to retain the title if he is able to exploit that, if there is still a weakness there. But we haven't really seen it from Leon Edwards in recent years.
2: No, it's a fair point. Obviously, this is more suited to Friday's sort of X's and O's breakdown. But it is one of those storylines that centers this, looking back at that first fight, how it may or may not affect the second one. Let's look at Edwards on this current streak since that loss to Kamara Usman. 9-0, one no contest. It's weird, and in, in the pregame preview we shot with Chuck Minnenhall, Morning Combat, that you can check out right now on YouTube.com/slash Morning Combat. I, I kind of made this weird argument, AB, that Rocky, not Pennington, although it's it's fair fair to argue whether I'm the Tisha, you know, and to Luke in the Rocky, uh, you know, that relationship. But Rocky Edwards, he's been so underrated for so long. And I almost feel like now he's overrated, meaning, look, this win streak has been fantastic, and this is not an easy division to win nine you know, out of ten fights without a defeat. But I don't really know if I've seen that one performance or that one name he's beaten that really gives me the confidence that he's a live dog entering this fight. How would you react to such a casual comment as that?
0: Well, I think that you raise a good point, though. Like, if you look at the pandemic starting in March 2020, he was supposed to fight, I believe, on the card against Woodley that week, the week of the first cancellations of cards. And if you look at what's happened since then, you have the Bilal Muhammad fight with the, with the eye poke. Very, very, you know, little clarity as to where Edwards is at, because first round Leon Edwards has always been good. But it's kind of in the later rounds, if he was to be tested against the guy with the wrestling pedigree of a Bilal Muhammad, where we would have really seen what Leon Edwards is about, we didn't get to see that. And then the Nate Diaz fight, which... I think his kind of lopsided matchmaking, he was, what, a 5-1 to favorite in that, and he, he cruised in that fight until he didn't, until it was the fifth round, Diaz tags him, and that's the lasting memory in the, in the minds of the mixed martial arts enthusiast. So, what have we seen from Leon Edwards in the last two and a half years that would convince you that he's ready for this step-up in competition? That, that's what this is. Like, this is a major step-up in competition from one round against Bilal Muhammad to Nate Diaz to now Kamaru Usman? And listen, I think that he's earned the title shot, but what have we seen that would convince us that he's ready for this matchup? Not a whole lot, but that also works to his favor because I don't know if we've seen the full body of work from Leon Edwards. We don't really know where he's at, and I think that Usman is going to go into this fight knowing that too. I don't really know exactly what Leon Edwards is going to bring to the table in this fight, and that's what makes it so intriguing for me because I think that he deserves the shot, But the last two and a half years haven't taught us a whole lot about Leon Edwards.
2: Would you agree when people say this fight should have happened two years ago? Is there any truth in that, AB?
0: Maybe. Not really. I mean, we can call it up for what it is. Edwards isn't necessarily the most marketable guy. Um, I would have liked to see the Edwards versus Hamzat fight because that would have kind of told us where Leon Edwards was at. If Leon Edwards would have beaten Hamzat Shemaev, imagine how much of a rub he would have gotten from that. I think that a lot of people would have... Um, really bought into Leon Edwards. I'm not sure people are sold on Leon Edwards right now. And I think that it's on him to sell us on him this Saturday. And yeah. uh, that, that's a lot to ask of somebody. But at the same time, the stakes are as high as they're going to get from Leon Edwards. So I imagine we're going to see the most prepared and the best Leon Edwards going into this fight.
2: Yeah, ready or not, it's his time. Our friends at Caesars currently have the odds. Plus 310, the underdog Edwards. Minus 400, your 4-1 four to one betting favorite Kamaru Usman. Look, it would make sense. Kamaru Usman is 15-0 and 0 in the damn UFC. He's your pound-for-pound pound king. This will be the third time he'll be fighting an opponent for the second time, although obviously the first Edwards fight was not a title defense. But if successful, this would be his sixth title defense, which would put him three away from GSP's welterweight record. But I think even bigger than that, this win would tie him with Anderson Silva for that very respected 16 consecutive UFC victory streaks. So this all plays into this. I think you you made a good comment early when you essentially said for, for Usman, I don't want to call this a potential trap fight, but it is a little bit of a no-win situation. He's expected to win. Nobody's clamoring for this rematch. We all believe Edwards is is more or less deserving, but there's not a lot of natural motivation. Now, if you're a true champion, a guy that can be consistent across many years against many different opponents, different styles, different scenarios. Kamaru's proven that. He is mentally rock solid. I mean, A.B., if you would have told me, you know, the same Kamaru that beat Maya and Woodley would would be the pound-for-pound pound king a couple years later, I wouldn't have guessed that. Obviously, the, the, the transformation he's made to make himself twice as dangerous offensively has been great. I respect his IQ. I respect all that. But A.B., the narrative entering into this fight, everybody's asking Dana, everybody's asking everybody, is if he wins this, yes, going to have to climb the Tremayev Mountain most likely. But dude, he's entering, if not the upper room of the Go conversation, he's on the outside knocking on that damn door. I want to know if you believe it's time to be having this conversation, and if you believe anything of this topic could present a trap element for Usman, being that it is going to be hard to get up for Rocky Edwards compared to somebody like Chimaev.
0: Well, the big problem for Usman in this kind of conversation is that he's in the same weight class that George St. Pierre was. And you're always going to have the two narratives. There's the one narrative where GSP lost fights in the UFC, where Usman has never lost the UFC fight. So if you take that and you say, well, I value the undefeated track record of Kamaru versus GSP, then you can be on Team Kamaru. But... Then if you're on Team GSP and you say GSP never really needed to have rematches because he blew out every single opponent that he faced as champion, he was a dominant champion. Nobody came close to touching him until Johnny Hendricks in his very last welterweight oh. title defense.
2: Well, is that true, that AB? One head
0: kick that, that he ate from Carlos Condit in a round. That I believe he won. Uh, or actually, sorry, in a fight that he won every other
2: round of. I mean, I he did lose that, to Matt Serra, okay? I mean, let's be let's let's put the facts in front of us, right?
0: Right. He lost to Matt Serra, but after that is when the title run happened. After he beat Matt Serra, recaptured the title, and then went on that run. Like, he didn't, you know, every time he beat somebody, there, there was no talks of a rematch. He he blew them out. Changed their careers. Whereas with Usman, you now have a third rematch for him. Now, I think this rematch is a little bit different than Masvidal and Colby, because those were title defenses and then title rematches. Whereas this is somebody who's gone on an absolute run in Leon Edwards, where it's warranted not because of a close title fight the first time, but more because of the body of work that Edwards has shown since then. But... Again, I think you're, you're going to have these two teams. You're going to have the team that likes GSP with the dominant title defenses, no rematches, um, just just a, a stretch of dominance that was unparalleled at the time, versus a guy like Usman who has not lost in the UFC, who's beating uh, all the best guys, who's, who's cleaning out the division, right? So I think that there's that conversation to have, but if Usman was... For example, a lightweight, I think you could call him the best lightweight in the world. If he was a featherweight, you can call him the best featherweight in the world. But with GSP there, that's yeah. always going to be the thing that kind of makes this a, a more interesting conversation with Usman, because I think you can make a case that Usman might be the best to have ever done it. Like, Usman is, is, has a tremendous track record in the US, UFC. Um, all of, you know, no issues with drug tests, has been completely undefeated, destroyed Tyron Woodley when he was an underdog. Like, all of these things happen. That, that continue to add to his resume, and a win over Edwards would do that, but it wouldn't add that much. And I think that that's why you hear Usman talking about moving to 205. Because if Usman moves to 205 and wins the title at light heavyweight, you're just a hater if you say he's not the greatest of all time, right? Like, he's moved up two weight classes. <laughs> yeah, it'd be hard. You would just have to be a hater to not call him the best of all time at that, that point it's in like, time. Am I right?
2: Y- yes, you're 100% right. It would, that would be monumental but let me ask you this i got a lot of questions to ask you about this conversation again this is what podcasters do right they fill time talking about goats and it pisses the the hardcores off who only want to talk about the fights but you know obviously in gsp's for everyone titles in two divisions but that doesn't necessarily matter in the who's the greatest welterweight campaign gsp way more beloved do you think gsp fought better competition than kamaro has
0: well it's hard to say because he made them look so bad but they got there they got to the dance right so if they're getting to the dance, like, listen, when he beat BJ Penn, everybody considered BJ Penn to be one of the top five fighters in the world. And he completely he demolished BJ Penn in that fight. Right? So, I mean, you have to take stuff like that into consideration. So, I mean, like you said, GSP is beloved. I don't know why Kamaru isn't equally beloved.
2: Okay, let me counter you. Because I make the comment from time to time and people give me dirty looks that the only reason why Usman isn't... The star level, even though I agree with everything you said, like he hasn't had issues, he's, he's an honest, hardworking guy, he represents, you know, his home nation in Africa, but also is like, uh, he's just a great dude, I mean, he's an ambassador for the sport, he's getting everything he earns and deserves, but he's a little bit of a cornball, personally. Does that hold him back from getting that? I mean, look, it's hard to compare that to GSP because GSP is one of those foundational, you know, tent legs in the ground of UFC history. I mean, he's like, like Bushido to the core. There are still GSP fans that, you know, never were really MMA fans, but they were GSP fans. Like, he's that guy. Is, is Kamaro just doesn't have the right personality to be that guy? Is that fair? Is that mean? What is that?
0: I think it is mean, and I don't think it's accurate, and I don't understand it. Like, if you're going to look at someone's personality and that's why you don't think they're... Look at what happens in the cage. That's what matters. The truth... Dustin Poirier says this all the time. That's fair. What happens in the cage is the truth. So put all that other stuff aside, how he is at a press conference. It doesn't make a a difference. Let's let's just look at the body of work and go from there. And I think people like GSP because he admitted to being scared of fighting. Like, he was very human. He was very honest. And it's not that Kamaru's dishonest, but I think that there's... Something about him being scared of these things that people can relate to. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's better than Usman or anything like that. I'm I'm laying out both sides. I I think that that's why people like Usman is because he's undefeated. He is still having dominant wins as champion, and that's why again people are in the GSP camp is because he completely dominated the competition for a, a good stretch of time before taking that hiatus and then coming back at middleweight and winning another title. So. Like there's arguments to be made, and I think, like you said, this is all podcast narrative type stuff that everybody's going to have a different opinion on, and that's okay. That's that's what makes sports fun.
2: Everybody's going to have a different asshole, but we all have one. Okay, it's true. Some of us are one. Uh, over are your right, kittens.
0: we're all giving him away.
2: Yeah, <laughs> over your right shoulder is that a uh, a figurine of GSP, Boss Rutan, or Dana White? I can't figure it out from this distance.
0: Glover thought it was him when I had him on the show, but it oh. is GSP.
2: Okay this, okay. this one over here. And did you we go to the, uh, We've got to the, the Silver the Star
0: George St. Pierre. I'll give you guys a closer look at this. The Silver Star yeah, sure. George St. Pierre. Old school, back when there was no uniforms. Wow. Type gear.
2: Did you go to that Toronto St. Pierre Shields fight that you have uh, memor- you know, memorably behind you, the, the program for? Did you go to that?
0: I was there. I've been to every Toronto uh, event. So, okay. yeah, I was at that one and um, every other one that took place in
2: York, Your Canadian brethren showed up for that. I mean, they went nuts.
0: 55,000 plus. There's All never right. been more people attending a mixed martial arts event in North America. And uh, yes. that was kind of this weird culmination. I talked about that. I did this monologue that I do every week on Twitter where I talked a little bit about that, how it was really the, the hunger in that market at that point in time. Ontario wasn't legalized. And the UFC lobbied and finally got it legalized and the the hunger of the mixed martial arts fan in Canada had never been higher. It was like the perfect time to do an event like that because it was the first time they did an event in that locale. They'd been hungry for it for years, but it was not legal at the time. Um, just the perfect storm of events that allowed something like that to happen. And I think that's why they don't do stadium shows very often.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, it's weird for as polite as your people And when I say your people, in some ways I'm saying our people, because don't forget that I'm, you know, half French Canadian and my descendants come from Quebec. Okay, I mean, please. Although maybe you've got an internal Ontario versus your descendants of like the
0: U.N. You have descendants from everywhere.
2: I do. I'm, I'm also an adopted Welshman. I'll tell you that much. Um. But your people love themselves some fights, whether it's hockey, boxing, MMA. I mean, I've been to Montreal many times; great fight city. Yet they're so nice. It's weird. Um, have you guys fully adopted Brock Lesnar as a as a Canadian? Oh, okay, we'll take
0: yet? him. I mean, he lives in in Saskatchewan.
2: okay, Saskatchewan. I so mean, you, you know, Brock Jones- honor.
0: He represented the Canadian flag in his last uh, UFC fight, if you recall.
2: All right. A uh, final question on this weird goat thing. You mentioned something key: Usman not wanting to fight Israel Adesanya, his buddy. Teasing some idea of a two hundred five, yes to what you said. If he did that, I don't know what we do with him historically. You know, it'd be it'd be something. But if he did that without fighting Hamzat first, would he have a scarlet letter on him?
0: No, I don't think so, and I, I don't think that that would also make it so that he doesn't fight Hamzat. And I personally believe, if you were to ask me, you know, hand to God, I think that the Hamzat fight's going to be next. Like, the UFC knows that there's an appetite for that fight if Hamzat ends up beating Nate Diaz. Like, this Nate Diaz fight is kind of a placeholder. You could put Hamzat in against Uzman anytime. Um, of course, he's going to have to beat Nate Diaz. And if you listen to Dana White yesterday after Contender Series, you're out of your mind if you don't believe that uh, Nate Diaz has a shot in that fight. So um, let's see it happen first. And then I think you're going to see that fight between Hamzat and Uzman. And then I think if Uzman makes light work of Hamzat somehow, or... Wins even a competitive fight. I think that's when you got to start talking about 205 because really, who else is there? I mean, you got Bilal Muhammad coming up. I think him versus Sean Brady is an interesting fight. There's still certainly people that haven't fought Usman yet that are working their way up the division. Uh, I mean, you've also got Shafkat. I think he's an interesting name to look at at 170 going forward. But if they gave him the opportunity to win the fight, the title at light heavyweight, and again, if he's beaten Hamza and he goes and wins the light heavyweight championship, he would be, in bold, underlined, without a shadow of a doubt, the greatest of all time. And I don't think you could even argue against it.
2: Wow. Wow. Um, you know, I got an interesting middleweight fight for him. GSP, but that's just me. All right, let's keep the train moving. Uh, look, the odds have, as we mentioned, uh, Usman is a 4-1 to one favorite. So, that's, you know, that's, that's pretty wide for a title fight. How big of an upset in your eyes would it be for Leon Edwards to do this?
0: I mean, you have to look at the odds and say that it would be a pretty big upset. And uh, it's not just because of the odds, but also because Usman, again, has never lost in the UFC. We have a pretty interesting clashing of styles where you've got kind of grappler versus striker, but still a a pretty well-rounded game all around for both guys. But yeah, I mean, what is the path for Leon Edwards? I think really the path for Leon Edwards is if A, Usman is somehow unable to take him down over the course of the fight, tires himself out, or B, he decides to test his stand-up against Leon Edwards and fails. But I, I just don't see either of those outcomes being particularly likely. Uh, that being said, I, I think if Edwards ends up winning, that's a massive upset. It's a monumental upset.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, no question about it. Uh, how many former Utah Jazz players will be in attendance in Salt Lake City? Because I'm hoping we get like an Adam Keefe sighting or like a Oster tag or some shit. I just wouldn't want to be sitting behind Yogi Oster tag. That would that's be fair.
0: a that would be a bad look. Um fair. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that. We we could certainly see some uh, some Jasmine in attendance. I, I would like to see that if Carl Malone was there, Jasmine, would be great. John Stockton, wow. <laughs> Jeff Hornacek, and anybody from that that great era uh, of uh, of Utah Jazz lore. Mark Eaton, that would be another guy you don't want to sit behind. Wow,
2: wow, seven foot four, all of that. Uh, let's keep it going. on to topic too. It's the rest of the UFC 278 storylines, and there's a couple of interesting fights to circle here. Uh, wow, Rafe Rafe Boogs sliding in. He'll be on later in the show, Mark but Eaton's he slid dead. into the chat. To say Mark Eaton I has like passed, Eaton so <laughs> RIP to the, to the UFC legend. I'm sure he was great at volleyball. I'm just going to guess. I'm going to put that out there. He used to block shots without jumping, okay? Uh, our co-main event is uh, kind of an interesting middleweight tilt here as former title challenger and wine enthusiast Paulo Costa takes on former champion altogether in Luke Rockhold, who hasn't won since 2017, has been extremely inactive. But as you look at this fight... It's hard to say there's not huge stakes. Rockhold has already said if I pull the upset and win this, I will accept nothing short of a UFC title against opportunity against Adesanya and or I won't accept anything moving forward. You More can for see air. Luke Rock Yeah, you can see Luke Rockhold on the embedded saying he's found his his purpose again. His his the fire has been relit in terms of why he's back, why he's doing this, why he wants to win. Forget the result for a second. What do you expect to see out of this version of Luke Rockhold here? You know, 40's not that far away. He's been inactive. What can we expect uh, in the first time that, you know, we've seen him since a a trio of stoppage there in in that four-fight run?
0: This is the weirdest main event that I can remember because I just have absolutely no clue how this one's going to play out. We haven't seen Rockhold in a long time. He's coming off that loss to Bojovic at 2.05. He's taking some time away from the sport to recover and focused more on his recovery than on training. He said that on uh, the UFC Countdown show. And then... You look at Costa and what happened in that last fight. He shows up. He refuses to make weight to face Marvin Vittori. Comes out throwing absolute hammers at Vittori, but Vittori's chin is, I think, among the best in the UFC. I mean, it's it's impossible to crack that guy, it seems. Um, So I just don't know what version of these guys is going to show up. I understand why Costa's the heavy favorite, especially after him throwing those hammers against um, Vittori in that last fight. I think if he connects on one of those against uh, Luke Rockhold, it's going to be tough for him to withstand more than one of those. So I, I think that's why you see him as such a big favorite, but I just have no idea how this, I don't know how Rockhold's going to look, because it's been so long since we've seen him compete. I'm not sure what version of Costa shows up the fight week. I think I'm going to be speaking with him later today, so maybe I'll get a better uh, glimpse of exactly what's going on. But uh, yeah, it, it's just a very interesting time for this fight to take place in weird circumstances all around.
2: Uh, plus 290 is Rockhold according to Caesars, your underdog, minus 370 Costa. Before we get into Paulo's journeys as well, as you just sort of tease the up his own up and down run of late, um, would that be kosher considering Adesanya's more or less cleaned out this division? Somebody with the name of Luke Rockhold, if he comes back and beats Paulo Costa, that's a great ass win for a veteran, a guy with a name, uh muscular guy who's very good looking. You gotta give him his flowers here. Uh would you be okay with him caught in the line with a win this big?
0: No, absolutely not. I mean, he needs to win again against someone else. I mean, the middleweight division is is not super crowded. But no. at the same time, I think that uh, a win over Paulo Costa... I mean, Vittori just beat Paulo Costa. I know he's fought Israel already twice, but... I, but that's just, not how the I UFC that,
2: does it, AB. That's not I, how they do it. They, they don't do it that way.
0: Well, this is the interesting thing. Because if you look at Israel and his skill set, if you take the Rockhold that was the champion, or the wideman that was the champion. Those would be nightmare matchups for him, but those guys are, you know, they're, they're where they are now at their career. Their best days are behind them, so uh, let's see how it plays out. But, I mean, if he, like, knocks down Paulo Costa and submits him in the first, yeah, maybe we can start talking about that, but I don't know if he jumps the line, and I, I don't think Costa, with a win over Rockhold, is going to get another shot at Israel
2: anytime soon either. Dude, I think he'll get the title shot. I really do. I really think the wow, UFC okay. loves doing that. They love putting, you know, oh, let's give Frankie Edgar another title shot. Let's give Dan Henderson at 46. Oh, that's a good storyline. They love that. I-, I think it's time for Izzy to move up. I-, I don't think there's anybody else for him to fight, okay? That's just my two cents. No one really takes those those shekels, those loonies, if I can speak Canadian with you. Uh, no one really takes my two cents that-, that seriously, but that's what I got to say.
0: Well, it's Look- a loony, actually, if it's two cents.
2: Okay, there you go, there you go. Um, by the way, I, you, 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 you needed my help on the math earlier from 2016 to 2022. Were you thinking metric system in your head the whole time?
0: Yeah, I, it, was, it was very – we don't use numbers here in Canada. We just use letters. Okay. So it was, <laughs> it was, it was, was very, like, very complicated stuff for me. Uh,
2: look, what, here's, here's how I'm going to transition to talking to, about Paul Acosta. I'm going to go through Luke Rockhold. I think since Luke Rockhold won the title at UFC 194, God, 2015, right, like so long ago against Chris Weidman, never been the same. Knocked out three times against very dangerous opponents. But I think the recurring theme for me, and there was one win in between, obviously, against David Branch, was that Rockhold has fought so arrogant for a guy with that much skill. And, you know, go back and watch his greatest hits. He's he's incredible. He just finds himself in bad situations, wrong moment, wrong time, hands down, chin out. You know what I mean? Like, there's an arrogance to how he fights. A.B., there's an arrogance to how Paula Costa fights. And I think that since... That egg he laid against Adesanya, which, you know, contains also his reveal afterwards about being up all night drinking wine and not sleeping and all that, like, dude, what the hell happened? I, I saw him against Vittori. Yeah, he's still dangerous to knock you out. Yeah, he's still tough as nails. But he's now fighting completely ignorant. Like, I don't have a lot of confidence, not that Polo Costa won't win this fight or won't potentially win it spectacularly. That's what the odds are telling me. It's probably what's going to happen. But I feel like he's just a little bit off tilt since that out of Sonia night. Maybe you can argue he's always been. He's always been a bit of a wild man. But I thought I saw leading up to the title opportunity a more composed wild man. Now I'm a little nervous for him that he's just going to go out there and be like, yeah, I got in good enough shape. Let's just brawl. That's who I think he is moving forward. Do you get any smell of that?
0: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I don't think that anybody could comfortably bet him as a, a nearly 4-1 to one favorite given what we saw during fight week against Vittori. Maybe, maybe once he steps on the scale, you can, if, if he's looking like he's in good shape, he makes 186 or below, then maybe you can comfortably say, okay, I think he's going to beat Rockhold. And even if he does come out with a brawling mentality against Rockhold, that could work. I mean, like that, could, that could very well work and result in a first-round finish for Paulo Costa. So, again, that's why this is a weird coming event for me, because I just have no clue how this is going to play out. There's just so many weird things that could happen in this fight. Um, I think is that the thing th- that is most likely to happen is that Costa gets a knockout early in the fight. It if is. If you were to ask me for my prediction, that's how I predict this fight ends. But, I mean, I mean if, if Rockhold shows glimpses of being the Rockhold of old, and his, his body's in good shape, and he's able to land a takedown at some point in this fight, that's the last guy you want on top of you in the middleweight division is Luke Rockhold, because he's so dangerous in every facet of the ground game, and that's always what made him such a special fighter.
2: Yeah, I fully agree with that. It's the arrogance. That's the issue. He just ends up in bad situations. You might argue, though, that this is the, the sexiest matchup UFC's ever put together. I mean, oh, yeah, I absolutely. could probably offer you some women's strawweight fights that could this equal that. cologne but, ad. Yeah, it's, to an, happen. it's an all-body team matchup. Uh, you know, maybe we can send Canadian wrestling legend Rick Martell into the ring to spray his arrogance cologne all over because it really sums that up. Uh, look, either way, it's going to be must-see TV. I'm interested. He's I'm into it. He is. He is still alive. We, we've checked that. Okay, we've checked his pulse. Great. Thank you. The model himself. Uh, look, maybe the best fight on the whole damn card. It comes in the overly loaded Bantamweight division that we all love. And it's the legend, the King of Heo, as Luke Thomas won't stop texting me to prove that he thinks he's right. It's Jose Aldo. But when it comes to Russian, Georgian, Moldovian, Eastern European hammers that I've got in my cupboard back here, it may be time to add Marab. Devolish Wheelie, who's on a great run of his own. A.B., this is not an easy fight for either, man. This is a hell of a fight. Is there any chance this is too much too soon for Mirab in terms of, like, look, you're going to be fighting a skilled, thoughtful, tough-as-nails veteran in the former champ Jose Aldo. Is this fight closer than sort of the age and the directions they're going may lead you to believe?
0: Well, if it is too much too soon, Jose Aldo's the guy to prove that. We saw that against Cheeto Vera. We saw that uh, against Rob Font. We saw that I guess against Jeremy Jeremy Stephens a couple years ago. Like, if you're not ready, Jose Aldo will expose you. But Marab, they call him the machine for a reason. I mean, this guy is just take down, take down, take down, like rinse, repeat, make your life miserable. And I think in a three-round fight, that really plays to Marab's advantage because he can win two rounds no problem if he's able to get it to the ground. He's one of those guys where if he gets it to the ground, you are in big trouble and are, are in major danger of losing this fight. It might get, come down to Jose Aldo having to go for broke in the third round if Murab is able to implement the game plan early on. But like you said early on, like, you know, when you when you teed this up for me. If you are not ready, Jose Aldo is going to be the person that exposes you. And I think that's what could happen here to Murab Dvalishvili. Personally, I think Murab rises to the occasion and gets it done in this one.
2: It's going to be interesting. I mean, not only is this division historically great, there are so many matchups right now where you could talk yourself into the idea that the winner ha- with a spectacular performance can cut the line. Sean O'Malley against Jan, probably the best chance to cut that line, but we just saw Cheeto Vera get a huge win. If Aldo wins this one, damn, that's four in a row, and you already beat Cheeto Vera recently. You know, there's also Sanhagen and, and Song Yadong. I mean, this is not to mention Dillashaw going for the actual title against Sterling. So what a time to be alive Um, for Aldo, damn, I mean, if he could pull this off against a guy on this streak with this gas tank, with this sort of thing, it, it, this would be his greatest and most rewarding victory since what?
0: Wow, that's a good question. Um... I mean, the, fun, the funny thing is, he got the title fight against Pyotr off a loss to Marlon Bruce. It was like a controversial decision. So, when was the last big win? For I mean, Joe the last, last I mean,
2: feel-good, great win was maybe Jeremy Stevens or You know, where we were like, "Holy shit, he's back!" Right? I but mean, that's... the win
0: over Frankie Edgar was a, a big one as well. UFC 200. I mean, that yes. was another one that kind of got him back on the horse after that loss to Conor. So, yeah, I mean, that maybe that one. But like you, I mean, like you said, if he ends up beating Marab one of the best friends of Aljamain Sterling, a guy who he's never fought. I think Aldo's next in line. Is he not at his age? He might Trying be. to get that second title? I think if Aldo wins, I mean, obviously, we're going to have to see what happens with Dillashaw, but even if Dillashaw wins, a Dillashaw-Aldo fight, who's not watching that, right? I know Aldo fell short against Piotr Jan, but I think a win here over Marab, he becomes the front runner for the next title shot at bantamweight, regardless of how that bantamweight title fight plays out.
2: Wow. And regardless of O'Malley, you don't think he has the edge in the in the company's eyes well, right O'Malley's
0: now? O'Malley's got time, right? And the UFC looks at that kind of thing. You know, if if O'Malley ends up beating Jan, it would be a massive upset. And I think that it would show that O'Malley's ready. But if you've got Aldo coming off a win over Merab, you you have two great matchups that you can make with Sterling and Aldo, TJ and Aldo. Y- you got to respect the legend. I think that they give... Aldo the next shot, if he if he gets a, a, a really strong win here. I mean, if it ends up being a close, contentious decision, then, of course, the balls are thrown back in the air and we see what, how they land. But uh, I think that Aldo, especially having a win over Cheeto, that that also adds to that resume. So
2: yeah, it's a good I think Aldo's
0: next in line if he gets a win.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a clean, good-ass win that he had over Cheeto, whereas, like, I love the Cheeto win over O'Malley, but you still have half the population telling you that's not a real win I mean, you stop Sean O'Malley telling you it's not a real win. It's a real damn win, okay? If, if Michael Chandler, Brent Premise won is a real win. You know what I'm saying? You get the point. Uh, Vegas has, at Caesars, Aldo, plus 110, a slight underdog, minus 130 for Marab. Final question on this matchup. Um, if if Devalish Wheelie cannot consistently take this fight to the ground, um, is are there other paths to victory from what you've seen out of him up to this point?
0: You know, not really. I think against a guy like Marlon Moraes, he was able to do some good work on the feet. But I think if you're in any sort of stand-up bout against Aldo, and that's not your bread and butter, Aldo will find openings and he'll pick you apart. So I think that he needs to get this right to the ground in order to win. If he ends up winning a decision without getting a takedown, I mean, I will be the first guy to uh, admit that I was 100% wrong on that. I just don't see that being a possibility.
2: Uh, It's weird. The more you look at the math, you're like, okay, Aldo rightful underdog. But there's a few ways he can win this. I mean, look, if you're well, on your back for half like Aldo's fight, an
0: easy guy to take down either. Like historically, Aldo's been notoriously difficult to take down, and that's why he was the featherweight champion for so long.
2: But if he does get taken down consistently, then you're like that. His gas tank against Marab's, eh, even you know, it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Uh, look, we are really as the days get closer, hyping up more of the return here of Alexander Romanov. It's a fight against Marching Tybura that I think it did it just get bumped down to the prelim main event. Did I read that correctly on Twitter?
0: I didn't see that, but all
2: yeah, right, we'll have, we'll, have to, we'll have to check back in on that. But here's the deal: uh, Tybura always a, a, a you know a tough out in this division. Uh, you know you don't you don't want to use the gatekeeper turn, but he does find out if people are ready. Romanoff is just coming off that win over Chase Sherman, where he was the biggest a favorite in UFC betting history. Although, never forget the line that came out for Shevchenko against Nico Montano. Never forget that. Um, straight up, easy question: How good is Alexander Romanoff?
0: He is great. And I mean, this is why I love this matchup. Because Romanov can implement his game plan where he takes people down and mauls them against almost any heavyweight. But Tybura is not a fish out of water on the ground. Tybura does his best work on the ground. So this is not going to be a situation where Romanov's just going to be able to take him down and roll. I think that this is going to be a tough fight for Romanov. And I know Romanov's a massive favorite here. But I think that Tybura has the skills to make this a difficult matchup for him. If I were to predict how this fight ends, I think it's going to be Romanov by decision. But I don't think he's going to be able to get Tybura out of there on the ground because I think Tybura is one of the more well-versed fighters in the heavyweight division when it comes to fighting on the ground. So this is going to be a tough matchup for Romanov because I don't think he's going to be able to roll in the same way as he has against previous opponents. Unless he's able to find an early no- like an early knockout against Tybura. Because I mean, we've seen Tybura get cracked before. But I, I think that this is actually a, co- a pretty evenly matched fight where I would, give, you know, I, I still think that Romanov is the superior fighter here, but we're going to learn a lot from this fight, and those are my favorite kind of fights.
2: I mean, you know, we may learn just enough that we need to learn through the first two minutes when he finishes and We'll see what happens. You <laughs> can take this guy to like well, City. I know where, you,
0: where you think this fight's going to end.
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Tyburry is a tough out, as I mentioned. This is the type of matchup that's right for Romanov at this point. Let's keep stepping up in increments. Look, th- this division's got some... Got some bodies at the top, so he's not going to be getting forced in anyone's face anytime soon. This is the right fight for him. You even saw him getting love in the Embedded uh, show, you know, working out in the parking lot of the hotel in Salt Lake City. So they're starting to to really see what we potentially have here. Uh, looking forward to this fight. Uh, A.B., I love hanging out with you in real life because we're vinyl enthusiasts, and you've helped really become, you know, my shaman in many ways in this category. And you do a great job picking through the crates at the old record shop Can you pick through the crates of this undercard and find me, uh, you know, give me one reason to stay here or I'll turn right back around. What should I be watching on this undercard when I'm calling prelims with Keith Thurman for Showtime Championship Boxing on Saturday? That's what I'm talking about, all right?
0: Yeah, um, one guy I think is an absolute hammer is A.J. Fletcher. Like, I I love what this guy brings to the table. He's just always looking for finishes. And he's against Andrzej Lusa in the early prelims He's just the guy that I think you should watch out for. I think that he's a, a, a very interesting name. And I also love watching Sean Woodson do his thing, and uh, Luis Saldana is going to be an interesting opponent for him. Um, so those are two, if you're going to look at the undercard here, if you're going to look uh, beyond the main card, those are two fights I think are going to really deliver. Is uh, Sean Woodson versus uh, Luis Saldana, and uh, AJ Fletcher against Lusa. I think those are two fights that, uh, if, if you're looking for something, two fighters that, you know, four fighters that ha- don't have a ton of uh, experience right now, in MMA, um, you know, in the UFC where you haven't seen a huge sample size, maybe Sean Woodson is the exception there. I think those four um, four fighters are ones to watch.
2: Yeah, Sean Woodson, a fun fighter to watch with those long arms, likes to mix it up. Uh, Le- like seeing you pick through these UFC crates reminds me of that time in Vegas that I found, you know, Mr. Fantasy by Traffic for $2.98 in, uh, you know— the double uh, Little Feet live album, Waiting for Columbus. I mean, I you know, I found some gems that day. It was. Great. I found
0: the store in Las Vegas. It's taken me years to find the store in Las Vegas. And on my last trip there, I found it. So next time we're in Vegas together, we're going, we're trekking out to the middle of nowhere to this store.
2: Yes. Yeah, we're going ham on that. Um, Miranda Maverick always jumps off the screen when I see her in The Potential. Back on the win streak after those back-to-back defeats there, uh, she's going to have a test here at Women's Flyweight against Shayna Young. Are you high on... Maverick still, since it's early, we accept a few losses here, still going in the right direction now?
0: I think so, but
2: this is the problem.
0: If I recall, Shannon Young is now being coached by Safe Sayoud. And when you see somebody coached by Safe Sayoud as like a 4-1 to one underdog, you know, <laughs> that's a little bit tricky. Because I think Miranda yeah. Maverick has all the skills to win this fight, but I, I don't think that it's ever a wise move to bet against Saif uh, Sayoud and his fighters at that kind of a price.
2: Uh, it, always, always giving us, putting money back in our pockets there. It's Aaron Bronstetter, uh, Tyson money Pedro, back in Harry the safe. Humbuckler as well on that card. What, was you, what were you saying? Money back in the safe, pun intended. That's what I'm saying. Uh, let's move over to topic number three. It's, it surrounds the PFL. They'll be back with PFL 9 this Saturday. Get to that in a second. But they made major news just a couple days ago when Shane Burgos arrived on the scene in person with Ariel Hawani at the MMA Hour in New York City. To announce that he has signed a free agent deal to jump to the PFL. We ended up getting a colorful Dana White reaction with Kevin Ioli that we'll get to in a second. But here's what Burgos told Ariel. That was the last fight of my deal, meaning his last one with the UFC. I said after that fight I wanted to test free agency, test the waters. I know what I'm worth. I wanted to see what everyone else thought I was worth. So I went out there. I tested it. I'm excited to announce this signing. It was not an easy division, uh, decision. It was an offer I couldn't turn up. I've got two daughters. I've got to go back home. I've got to look them in the face when it's all said and done in this sport. With this deal, I feel like I will secure that. Not taking anything away from my UFC career, 11 fights. That was the dream when I was 14. I saw it for the first time on TV when I was 12, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, in the end, he look, he made this decision for the family. He's had you know, no no hard feelings to the UFC. Uh, Dana categorizes this as an error. We'll get to that, like I said. But how big for PFL, AB? is getting somebody still with a lot of gas in the tank in Burgos.
0: Dude, not only is it a great signing, it comes at the perfect time for the PFL. Because if you look at their matchups that ended up being the finales in the lightweight division, welterweight division, heavyweight division, I mean, lightweight division is still pretty good. you got two former UFC guys. you got Stevie Ray and uh, Olivier Bon-Mercier. But let's be real. Last weekend's card was a gong show. You have two guys, Dennis Goldsov and Magomed Umalatov, who basically are not allowed to compete because they're Russian athletes and the card's happening in Wales. Have those guys fight at MSG. You're doing a card at MSG. If you know that there's a chance these guys aren't getting visas and they're two of the, the, the two favorites really in those divisions, to me, I thought that now you have a welterweight finale between a guy who is a reserve, Dylan O'Taylor, great fighter. I mean, I'm not trying to put the guy down. Um, you ha- you have him in the finale, and you you look at the heavyweight finale, Juan Adams comes in, he ends up losing. You end up having um the the protege from uh from Cocopp uh, and and Jade Ante Delija. I want I'm to yes. make sure I'm Delia. getting his name right.
2: Delia, um, I think Delia.
0: Delia, yeah. You have him against Matteo Scheffel. like these are these are finales that are not really turning anybody's heads. And I think that that's uh that's really problematic. Um when you have two the two favorites have to you know, basically bow out because of visa issues. They've yeah. earned their way to try to win a million dollars, and now because of that, they're out. So I thought that that was a bad look for them. And now they bring on Shane Burgos. Timing couldn't be better because people are going to forget about that and talk about what a great signing Burgos is. And that is a great signing. Burgos, I think he says that he's likely going to do it at 155. I think that's great for him. That's, that's the way to do it because I think 155 is a weaker division in the PFL than 145. And I also think that for a guy that walks around at like 190, You're going to have to cut weight that many times in concession. I think him moving to 55 is a a much better move than trying to, you know, cut off 30 pounds every time he wants to make 45 um, on so many occasions. It's just really bad for his body. But, I mean, Burgos now has a chance to win a million dollars next season. um, And I think that you'd have to call him the favorite, regardless of what the field is, pretty much, uh, unless they make some other big splash uh, before the tournament starts. And it was weird hearing Dana White say yesterday, you know, we made a big mistake. Um, not keeping him. But also, you know, congratulations to the PFL. Congratulations to, to Shane Burgos. He's happy for both of
2: them. And, that uh, was that weird was, to do the uh, congratulations to, to the PFL. Is that like an inner ESPN handshake that just that happened? That might be
0: the first time he's ever mentioned the PFL. Like, aside from maybe when Kayla Harrison's come up.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, in, as, you, as you sort of stated, this is a... Burgos, who at 31 is still right in the midst of uh, of the best that he can be, 15 and three overall, has won two straight over Billy Q and Charles Jordan since that two fight losing streak, which you know there was some devastation in there, going life or death with Emmett, and then he got stopped by Barbosa. But he but he's looked good on the comeback, and I think that's what's fueled Dana's very honest. Let's give Dana credit his very honest reaction. So he sat down with Kevin Ioli yesterday. It was a very expletive-filled rant, as you might expect. Uh, not a lot of comeback from They're just giving him the chance to rant. But the specific quote against Burgos here was, how do I answer that question? Basically, there were some mistakes that were made here, some shit that, look, he should have still been here. I respect him very much, and I wish him the best. 100% big mistakes were made over here. What does that mean? Does that mean that somebody tried to bring a contract re-up for Burgos to Dana's desk and it just, the communication didn't happen and he wasn't aware that it ran out. I mean, I don't know. What does that mean?
0: Yeah, I'm thinking he just didn't get that final rubber stamp that was needed where they go to Dana and say, this is how it's going to be. And we either, we either t- accept these terms or we let him walk. Maybe they just, somebody unilaterally decided to let him walk. I don't really know the details. That would be my guess. Uh, But it seems like Dana was pretty disappointed that a fun fi- fighter like uh, Shane Burgos is going elsewhere. That's the kind of guy you want to have in the UFC because you're guaranteed a, fa- a fun fight when Shane Burgos is standing on one side of the cage.
2: Uh, quick, quick note on the rest of that Dana rant from Mr. Ioli there of, of Yahoo, in which it was brought up the comments that Dana made on that on that fun GQ clip that made the rounds this week that became a, a story. In fact, ESPN.com, our our, our respected uh, fellow journalist Mark Raymondi wrote essentially a story using Dana's comments about fighter pay from that piece. Now Dana's now saying that piece was completely edited. And you're an asshole if you believe that the things he specifically said were specific about fighter pay, meaning never in my time will we see the changes. And what he really meant, he says, was that never in my time will you see UFC become like boxing, which he says, over bloated salaries, no shows make money, blah, blah, blah. His quote about that story of ESPN was, I didn't see the story. I don't even know who wrote it, but you're not a journalist. You're a fucking scumbag. Um... Hey, B, what the hell do we do with that?
0: Well, I mean, I've... I think the cardinal rule is if you don't want to be quoted, don't say something. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I I understand that there was a fun tenor to that interview. Uh, but again, like, I, if you say something, you can get quoted. Now, was that... Did they edit it together like, uh, you know, old hard copy where you're like, uh, you take a quote and you make it mean something it doesn't? I don't know. I don't know what the tone of the interview was. But I do know that you are going to... If you're going to say something... Anybody is free to quote you. That's just kind of the way
2: it works. Yeah, now. like, you get his argument. His argument is that I didn't specifically say that about that, but the rest of his comments about fighter pay weren't all that attractive. Anyway, he's like, they get paid what they deserve. They kill what they eat. Do they? Do they really? I don't think so, but, you know, whatever, whatever. I'm just a scumbag. That's it, right?
0: I guess so. You know, but you, you you were in that video, right? The 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 hatchet piece?
2: Yeah, I starred in that video. I got a yeah, SAG, go. a SAG, <laughs> I got benefits listen, from I mean.
0: I, I understand that he's um, angry about it, but at the same time, like I just don't know what could have been. done. I guess what could have been done differently is they could have reached out to Dana for comment. But I, I mean, I don't know if they would have gotten one. <laughs>
2: I mean, who yeah, knows? I mean, that's right? a good but point. And again, he didn't even time, know who if wrote you say it. Something, you know, and you Ray Mundy might you know, be a scumbag. Kind of the nature but of the beast. No, I'm kidding. I love Mark Ray Mundy. Not a scumbag at all. Uh, PFL nine is going to go down as I mentioned this Saturday, Copper Box Arena in London. As the uh, PFL UK tour continues, Kayla Harrison in the main event, women's lightweight semifinals. The other matchup is Larissa Pacheco versus Olena Kolesnik. But Kayla Harrison's going to return against Martina Jindrova. Um, Ab, I'm trying to be really honest here. I don't think Kayla wants to be in the PFL anymore. I don't think she's all that excited about this. I think she took the deal because they had the mat- the rights to match it. She's aggressively trying to get Cyborg into a pay-per-view fight next year. Is there any foundation here built for a trap tournament for Caleb? I mean, she's a destroyer. She's big time better than the opponents in this bracket. I just don't get the feeling like she wants to be here at this point in her career, even with the million dollars.
0: Well, she's frustrated. I mean, she wants the big fights, and the big fights are unavailable. Now, I think is a good opponent. I, I think that is probably going to win. But I just don't think people respect Larissa Pacheco enough. Like, that's the weird thing about it. Like, I think Pacheco against Cyborg would be a competitive fight. Uh, she's really evolved over time. But at the same time, we've seen Kayla beat Larissa Pacheco already. And the expectation is always going to be Twice. that yeah. Kayla Harrison's going to beat Larissa Pacheco. I, I just personally think that that's actually going to be a close fight. Like, I think if that ends up being the finale, I'm excited for that fight. Because I think Larissa Pacheco has gotten a lot better since the first time that they fought. Uh, not that Kayla hasn't, but I think that that actually is a, a very competitive fight. Now, I can see where Kayla's coming from. I think that her coming back to the PFL was kind of predicated on them being able to get Cyborg to sign on the dot, dotted line. And it doesn't look like Cyborg and her camp has any interest in signing with the PFL. Um, and they've said if you want to do a cross-promotional fight with Bellator, uh, don't, you know that doesn't take place on Twitter. That takes place behind closed doors. You call Bellator and you try to set that up. Now, a PFL versus Bellator card would be very uh, captivating. I think that's interesting. But there's a lot of hurdles to clear. You've got different rights holders everywhere. So here's, here's my solution. I thought about this. I haven't said this anywhere. So you're going to get... Uh, oh,
2: give it to me, yeah. This
0: thought is going to get put out in the stratosphere. If I'm the PFL and I'm Bellator, what you do is you, you have a, a pay-per-view uh, a bet between Kayla and Cyborg. And each of them gets to back their horse. So if you're the PFL, you say if you think Kayla's gonna win, you order this on ESPN Plus, and if she wins, you get you get five dollars back on your purchase. <laughs> Does it and work if you're like Showtime this? and Bellator, you say if you think Cyborg's gonna win, you order this on Showtime pay-per-view, and if Cyborg wins, you get five dollars back off of your purchase, and then you co-promote you co-promote this pay-per-view. With both parties involved, ESPN Plus or or however PFL is going to be distributing their pay-per-views. I'm not sure if it's going to be ES- ESPN Plus or if it's going to be OTT platforms or whatever. But do it that way and then make it a big fun thing. Make it into a big spectacle and, and incentivize people to buy the pay-per-view that way. That's the way that I would do it personally. Um, and I think that that is a fight that hopefully can get made. But it seems like Cyborg doesn't want to fight in MMA anywhere besides bellator right now it seems like she's made that pretty clear she's happy she says she considers scott Coker to be family so really the only way you can make that fight right now is cross promotion but the pfl is planning on launching this big pay-per-view division and i don't really see a pay-per-view opponent for kayla harrison right now that would bring in any dineros personally no
2: unless there's some free agent pickup i mean look you know would well, they signed julia budd former bellator champion for this season and you know she had some setbacks it didn't go the way we thought in her building up and getting to this point I like what you're saying about Larissa Pacheco, though, who's in the other semifinal on Saturday. Just from this standpoint, she's won four straight since her second loss to Harrison. She fought Harrison twice in the 2019 season, including in the championship. Although she lost those, she did take Harrison the distance in both fights. I got, you know, the second one being a five-rounder, so there's something there. And this season, Pacheco's got two first-round TKOs, so... Maybe for the final, we'll see. I'm not completely just saying Martina Jindrova has no chance, but it's like if Kayla gets to next year and they can't make that cyborg fight and there's no other viable opponents, even with the million dollars at stake, you're going to look at this two-year window and be like, it's it, it, it not a waste, but I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. It's interesting, right? Well, it seems like
0: they, they you know, Kayla wants something that they can't deliver, and that's going to be a permanent hiccup. The way that I, when Kayla signed, I said they should have just done two tournaments. You do a 45 and 55 women's tournament and you have Kayla do both and just make the capitalized on her earnings. She can make like yeah. $5 million a year. Right? Or like, we can, is okay. she going to say no to that? I mean, the, at that point in time, you don't worry about quality of opponent. But the thing that just upsets me about it is that I, I think that Larissa Pacheco is just not getting enough respect. People, not enough people know who she is. And I think that that fight is maybe, is almost as competitive as a, as a cyborg versus harrison fight at this juncture i really do oh, think you don't has mean that, that level. You,
2: you don't mean that i mean come on i mean it's a nice statement but you don't actually mean that ab i do i know you I,
0: I think pacheco is that good i think that she has a, 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 an incredible amount of power um in, ter- in her in her striking i i honestly do i'm not trying to to pump the tires of the pfl I, if i didn't believe it i wouldn't say it i just think that pacheco is a really solid fighter and is the next best thing to cyborg that harrison can have i just don't think not, that enough people know it
2: does pfl air on tsn in canada it is there, any, is there any correlation does. here? No, I'm kidding. I'm it does. Kidding you Listen,
0: you. but I'm being honest here. I, no, like, you are. Okay, so, so give me an answer then. Outside of the UFC right now, because you're not going to get a Nunes fight, there's not going to be a PFL UFC co-promotion, who's the next biggest opponent, the most competitive opponent for Kayla Harrison outside of Cyborg? It's got I think it's got to be Pacheco. She's the best... The next best op- option okay. in this situation. True,
2: if that's the final, she's she's the the best available opponent. So let's see if they both get there. I'm not jumping through hoops with excitement. I will say, the statistics, the recent memory show she would be the look. She's got knockout power. She'll be that's the underdog. That's a big thing. Oh, she'll
0: be the underdog for sure. But, but if, she's if, got if, knockout if, power. So, so you like have an a avenue. plus five hundred underdog. I mean, that's good value.
2: Okay, we'll see what happens. They both got to get past it. In the featherweight bracket, it's going to be Chris Wade versus former Dana White Contender Series, uh, Brendan Lachanen, who famously didn't get the contract when he wrestled, but has really starting to become something on this side of the fence. You also have Ryoji Kudo against Bubba Jenkins. Are any of those four jumping out to you as the favorite entering the semifinals?
0: I think it would probably be Chris Wade. Um, If I had to pick a winner in this bracket overall. I think Chris Wade ends up winning the million dollars. Ryoji Kudo is interesting, though, because that guy's got some some pretty sick power. Like, we saw that in his last fight, and he's kind of come out of nowhere. He's uh, the, the dark horse of this tournament, in my opinion, because I think that guy can sling.
2: All right, there it is. PFL 9 this Saturday. I think it's going to be in the afternoon. I mean, look, that just adds to the craziness of this weekend. We got Usyk Joshua in the afternoon. We got PFL... Uh, somewhere in London, they're doing bare knuckle with Mike Perry. We got boxing at night. We got UFC. What a time, AB. What a time, right?
0: What a time to be alive right now. Combat sports is just on fuego.
2: I mean, you could have put some of this stuff next weekend, but that's just me talking. But what a time to be alive. Uh, AB, we hope that the fine people that watch this show believe in you the same way they've believed in us when we're talking about the World MMA Awards. Reminder that AB is up for best MMA journalist Your favorite show's host's favorite show, Morning Combat, also up for Best MMA Programming. You can vote for both by going to the QR code below or worldmmaawards.com slash nominees. Um, Aaron Bronstetter, where can people find you if they want to connect with you in a much more intimate way?
0: At Aaron Bronstetter on Twitter is where most of my uh, content ends up. So, you know, please feel free to follow me there. And if you want to go and see where all of my platforms are. You can go to www.aaron.report and you can find uh, oh, nice. all of my work in one spot.
2: You weren't turned off by my suggestion that the listeners could get a little bit more intimate with you if they wanted to.
0: Well, I haven't launched that website just yet, but, it's, you know, stay tuned.
2: <laughs> It's called onlypipes.com. It's going to be a massive a Canadian success. Canadian OnlyFans. Yeah, yeah, there it is right there. Aaron Bronsetter of TSN, a, a man of the people. Uh, we love you in these parts. Thank you. For sliding in today, sir.
0: Yes, sir. My pleasure. Anytime you need me, I'm only a uh, direct message or text away.
2: Yeah. Am I allowed to text you under U.S.-Canadian texting laws?
0: Yeah. You know, it's iMessage, so uh, the SMS fees uh, are no longer an issue. You have an iPhone?
2: Yeah. yeah. Let's go. Team Blue. Okay. We should be hanging out on that level. Now, no stick picks, though. But there you go. Uh, Aaron Bronstetter. Thank you. Uh, Topics four and five this week are going to dip heavy into the box. So, you know I had to go to the bullpen. And call in one of the most educated, brilliant, and frankly crustiest boxing minds I know. My former co-host in many podcast iterations, many times from, uh, you know, the ropes on Grantland through our Snapchat bonanza through In This Corner and State of Combat on CBS Sports. He's uh, my brethren in the box. I don't even know if he still even likes boxing, but I am interested in talking to him just the same We got a big fight this weekend. He's been a day one-ish Usyk fan. Can I bring in from Detroit with Love, the New York Times bestselling author. He's not a ginger, although he may play one on TV. It's Rafe Bartholomew. Do I have him here on the magic of Zoom? Yes.
1: I am feel. I am here. It's great to see you, my brother. It is great to see you. My brother Noomspa is great to see you.
2: Does anybody else hear him? We are uh, we are having issues. All right, I mean, I can I can delay this a little and talk about you know athletic greens. If uh, oh maybe we maybe good Ra- we good, Brian. Oh, oh, we're off to that great you start. Go. You know how we um, do. I I am Rafe? here. Yeah, <laughs> I don't hear you anymore. This is no, this is on brand. This is really on brand. I've been, been brand. doing this. I've been unmuting, Brian. Okay, okay, you re- you remuted for a hot second. It was uh, it re- wasn't me.
1: It was- <laughs> thank, right. thank you, you saw okay. it on the counter it wasn't me Brian
2: <laughs> I saw the, uh, the apple pie with the hole in the middle it was, it was interesting uh, Bugs you know I love you do you still love this game that's what our old podcast people want to know
1: Brian of course I still love this game it's impossible to be I don't know, quite at the level of hardcore. My hardcore card isn't as shiny maybe as it once was, but um, there's nothing like boxing. And and beside that, we got Usyk this weekend. You know that I have been deep on that bandwagon for a long time, and I'm excited about this fight.
2: Uh, We've also got Lipin yet, so you know he's one of my guys right there as well. (laughs) Big week for the Kazakhs, just the same. We'll get into that. Um, You've hurt yourself yeah you're right i mean you know tyson fury said before the second wilder fight that you know you masturbate seven times a day okay this is this is what
1: happens when you go for a new record when you go for eight this is what happens (laughs) no brian they call it a boxer's fracture and then when you go into the hand surgeon they say but real boxers never get it because they know how to punch right so don't punch doors don't get into fights with fedex people on the phone don't be like me
2: Wow. Wow. Okay. Just the same there. I hope you're recovering. Uh, Detroit, uh, do you still work for Texas Monthly?
1: Yeah, I am. I'm editing uh, sports as well as narrative features for Texas Monthly Magazine. Working on a narrative podcast, too, about the Texas oh, Rangers. Wow. Ooh. The, the, wow. the, the the law enforcement outfit, not the, uh, oh, the baseball not, not Not Juan Gonzalez,
2: two-time MVP. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. All right. Shout to you Chris go. Woodward. It'll be all right. I've been there, bro. Uh,
2: Rafe, you're, you know... I mean, I've got a lot of I'm, I'm in a few marriages, my lovely wife, Jennifer, Luke Thomas, you know, but, you know, you're one of my favorite people in this world. Um, can I introduce you to another partner of mine? I, I would love for you to
1: do that. You know, it's all love here.
2: We're all in the family. It's the it's the green miracle drink right here. It's called Athletic Greens. And Rafe, you've known me a long time. I don't eat clean.
1: You eat very dirty, disgustingly dirty.
2: I'm trying to make a change because it's up to us as a people to start making some changes. And here's something I use literally every day. It's one scoop of the green magic powder because I wanted better gut health. I wanted more energy and I hated taking those pills and vitamins,
1: bro. Well, Brian, you know me. I mean, I when it comes to the Athletic Greens, I am not only a client; I'm the player president here. All right, we love oh, it. it Doesn't taste too healthy, wow. and uh, you know, it's got this this little tropical zing, this taste that I, look I look forward <laughs> to when placement. I wake up. That's what i Look, I got it. I got it on hand. I paid for this with my own money, and okay. I'm enjoying it.
2: All right. You know what I like best about it? The price. Yes. Uh, so, what is this stuff they say? How about one delicious scoop every morning and you'll be absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole sourced superfoods, whole food sourced probiotics, adaptogens, all the stuff you can't pronounce, but it helps you start your day right, doesn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that 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 special blend and forget the Folgers crystals. I mean, this special blend of ingredients supports my gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy. Focus, recovery, and aging, and boy, I'm, I'm 40 now. I'm washed, so I need it.
2: Yeah, Coming soon, libido help. Just the same, yes. Uh, look, it's so easy to use that I take it with me on the road. I use it during my live streams to stay, you know, up and ready. I mean, look, people have said, Rafe, hey, BC, you can keep hawking this product, but we know that you're slowly dying. Maybe it's the AG one that's keeping me alive, though. Okay, think about it. Think about it.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, our, our back in better days, Triple G said, I, I eat steak every day. Well, me, it's, I, it's so convenient with these athletic greens. I'll, I'll start traveling with it. I, I eat green every day.
2: Okay, all right. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, whatever you got going on, it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial anything, while still tasting good.
1: And it costs you less than $3 a day if you're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold
2: brew habit. I mean, who really has a cold brew habit? You got that soda pop habit. I know, I know what you've been doing with that red drink. I know it, okay, but uh, here's the deal. Taking it every day is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing that you can do right now to take care of yourself, but don't just ask me, right, Rafe?
1: Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael
2: Gervais. Amazing. Uh, to make it easy, here's the deal: go to athleticgreens.com right now slash morning combat, and AG One's going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and those five free travel packs that I use all the time on the road. All you have to do is hit that website, athleticgreens.com slash morning combat. There it is. Okay.
1: Again, right? that is yeah. I, again, again, Brian, that is athleticgreens.com slash morning combat to take ownership over your health. And pick up verbatim. the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I follow directions.
2: Thank you very much, verbatim. There it is. Thank you to our partners. All right, look, the big fight this weekend goes down late afternoon on the East Coast on Saturday, but it's going to be over in Jeddah. It's like the Red River Shootout. What are they calling it, Rafe? What are they calling this fight?
1: <sighs> I mean, I always go back to the road to Jeddah. What it, to me, it's just Usyk Joshua too. Joshua Usyk too. Why is there you it, go? I, mm.
2: Now there's some theme name. Who cares about it? Uh, it, it? All that matters is inside that ring. When Alexander Usyk, the former undisputed cruiserweight champion, makes the first defense, or looks to, of his three heavyweight world titles that he won in 2021 on the road in the backyard. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium there against Anthony Joshua AJ, Rafe, the beauty of you and I doing this podcast today is it was more you than me, but I certainly came around. You're looking... If people are watching, they're looking at a day one-ish Alexander Usyk fan. And you and I got so high on this man that I once walked up to Eddie Hearn. You remember that? New York City, I told you about it. And I said, Eddie, I love you, but Usyk's coming and he's going to beat your boy AJ. Well, Rafe, it happened. First, how surprised were you 2021 when this actually all went down?
1: No, Brian, I I wouldn't say that I was surprised, but I also wasn't someone who was like so high on the Usyk hype train especially at heavyweight because that was a big leap we had seen him look incredible at cruiserweight and and unify all the belts and just you know win incredible like putting great performances against morad Gassiev in the world boxing Super Series, all that but then fighting up that high in weight against such a larger man who in aj you know he is I think unfairly rated, especially here in the states, the Andy Ruiz performance, that first loss, uh, and just his AJ's attitude a little. Or the, his he comes off as a little too happy-go-lucky. He's got that golden boy, and I mean that as a as an you know as an intentional Oscar De La Hoya reference. He he's when he loses the same way after Oscar lost to Trinidad, it's like oh you know great for him. I'm so I'm just happy to be here. And people fans don't like seeing that, especially here in the states. Um, but still, I thought it was. a dangerous fight for Usyk as much as I believed in him I didn't know if he could pull that off and watching it that it was just it it felt like everything was coming together the the you know the the fighter that we believed Usyk could be as a heavyweight he 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 actually executed it and you know no matter how talented a fighter is it doesn't always work out that way
2: no absolutely I mean this was a brilliant performance where I think to your point like you mentioned Everything came together, and the everything also includes not getting screwed on the cards, right? The everything also includes, and, and Luke Thomas and I rewatched this fight, that people can catch it on YouTube.com slash Morning Combat, and get our, you know, in-the-moment reflections looking back. But I think you look back on this, the problem, in my eyes for AJ, was that he came in thinking he can outbox the smaller man, and he didn't necessarily make the right adjustments or playing into the role as the bigger man, the bigger, stronger you know, leaning, doing some of that Vlad Klitschko versus Povetkin type of stuff. We didn't see any of that out of him. That it did sort of make for a perfect storm that if Usyk could come in, dazzle in the way he did, not get stopped because the one thing we said about him, we know he doesn't have top-end heavyweight power, but does he have a top-end heavyweight chin to get to this point? Well, look, his heavyweight debut was kind of, you know, late replacement was a snoozer. Then he fights Derek Chisora, where there's a lot of good, but he also had a deal with a physical, real heavyweight in Del Boy and dealt with it. I don't think he, ended in the end, fought what would have been the best showing of AJ for different reasons. It created a perfect storm. It was a brilliant performance, but would you agree with me that you exited that first fight going, man, shout out to Usyk because damn, was he brilliant. Because he had to establish early that he could hurt AJ, and I think he did establish that. But I never saw AJ, just like in the Andy Ruiz rematch, Go into that gear that said, no matter what, I'm biting down, digging in and winning this fight. Is that an accurate portrayal from your eyes of the first fight?
1: Yeah, look, absolutely, Brian. Especially, I mean, you mentioned it, that first round, Usyk, the southpaw, comes out and landed, what, three really right on the button, straight lefts that that made made the fight play out, especially over those first four rounds that Usyk really, really dominated. I think he swept them. I don't think that's a controversial opinion. Um, And I think that it, it, you know, it it said that he was gonna dictate and he really did uh, control the action in terms of, you know, Ring generalship, the best punches landed through most of the fight, especially that first half, uh, and and that is where I think AJ probably made a mistake. Now we could all we maybe he had it, maybe AJ intended on coming out and being the boss that night last year, and it just didn't work out that way. So we but but it didn't play out that way in the ring. So Usyk either took it for him from him or AJ made that mistake and. I think uh, what we've seen the people who've had some success against Usyk it has come early. They haven't let Usyk establish his rhythm right away. That was who? Tony Bellew. Bellew did it by being more cagey, counter-punching, fighting off the ropes. AJ can't do that. That's not, AJ, w- AJ would be insane to do that. That's not gonna be this. Chizora showed something that maybe AJ can implement in a more athletic, less sort of wild man Chizora fashion, where he used his bulk and his strength and bum rushed uh, Usyk. And really, although I don't think Usyk was in the kind of trouble that, like, if you listen to the the British broadcast of those fights, they're like they're like, Derek Chisora might pull us off the king. All right, mates, chill. Um, but... He, you know, he was. He didn't let Usyk.
2: <laughs> Bang it full of cortisone and get on
1: with it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't let Usyk get his get his rhythm going. Usyk. It took a little longer for Usyk to sort of weather that storm, wait out Chizora, let Chizora, uh, you know, shoot a little bit of his uh, his his low watch, and whoa, and then. Whoa. whoa. Start, uh, okay. we, we know what we're dealing with here, Brian, don't we? Um, no. And, and look, I think AJ will. I think it's likely that AJ will try and do that. He'll try and be more aggressive. He won't give away those early rounds, or he won't want to. Uh, but can he? Can he do? Can, can he take them? Can he? Can he be more aggressive and successful in that early in the fight? And if he does, AJ has stamina problems. Is that gonna be? Is that gonna come yeah. back to bite him later in the fight?
2: AJ doesn't have the it's weird. You, you started off saying an interesting statement of like, you know, maybe the American fans won't fully give AJ his due. And I think that's right. We are we naturally skeptical to begin with of that big UK star always, right? Come to Vegas and prove it. But also, look, he's he he learned on the job, right? He came into that title opportunity against Prince Sir Charles Martin early. Then suddenly he's the champion, learning on the job. The fact that every single win had sort of these pockets of vulnerability going back to the first Dillian White fight, even the first couple rounds against Carlos Takam of all people—he, you know, he got rocked. He is going to be who he is. He's going to be vulnerable, but not a direct comparison to Lennox Lewis. But what did Lennox Lewis do that at the end of the day made it hard to to play that same American stereotype against? He got up off the canvas after being stopped by two guys in title fights and came back and knocked them both out. Now, AJ didn't do that in the Ruiz rematch. He safely boxed him from distance, and maybe that's part of why he still carries a certain level of criticism, whereas, like, we all know Fury's better if he could just get in the ring with him. Maybe all that's true. But AJ still has really tried to round out his game and become a good boxer. He gets up off the canvas like he did against Vladimir and kept coming back and found a way to win. I think when he looks back at this fight, all the things that we said are true about what he didn't do or couldn't do or should have done. And we'll get into the change now in trainer that has become a dominant theme in this rematch. But one thing we cannot overlook, Rafe, is that Usyk, and I I, I harped on this when we did the rewatch of the fight with Luke. He had to take some bombs of his own, especially in those middle rounds when AJ came on, in order to stand in there and win this fight the way he did and Usyk, did he not in the post-fight interview after the win say, you may have not noticed it, but I got hurt. Like, you know, I had a, there's a couple of those counter shots, especially that straight right hand when AJ figured it out in the middle of this fight, where Usyk had a bite down to get there. Maybe he's a better poker player than people realized. But in theory, as we head into this rematch, if we get a more offensive and dangerous and confident AJ, who at the very least is saying, I can't outbox him, I now know that. But right. I might be able to outfight him this fight could be an entirely different story. And I think that's what fuels the intrigue the second time around. No, absolutely. I
1: mean, and you saw in the middle of that fight, rounds five and six, when AJ found a home for that right hand, it, those were serious punches, and forget what Usyk says after the fight. Yes, he admitted it himself, but it's not just that, Brian. Look at him in that fight. I mean, he was cut above the eye. I think that one was not from a punch, but still, he was roughed up too, and, and that's just what's gonna happen, fighting 12 rounds with and giving up the amount of size that he was to, to, to just a much naturally bigger heavyweight in Anthony Joshua, who can punch, and when he lets his hands go, has a lot of power. All right. He didn't always look good, but he has to let his hands go in this rematch, even if that means risking gassing himself out, putting him in a position where he has to, you know, survive a couple rounds, tread water, figure out some way to get through and catch a second wind, because if he doesn't take that risk, I don't know if he's going to be able to, to do something else that that throws Usyk off, that gives Usyk a, a, a reason to to just go out and fight his fight.
2: Yeah, no, no question about it. Now, look, this rematch will take place Saturday afternoon on regular DAZN, not on DAZN pay-per-view, and it was a last-minute sort of contract securing. You saw some reports that ESPN tried to make a bid to get this fight. Um, I'm sure there's a big site fee. If we remember, AJ went to Saudi Arabia for the Ruiz rematch, and didn't he make like $80 million just to show up? It was almost like Floyd Mayweather, Pacquiao, here's with the $100 million check just just to step into the ring. Not bad work if you can get it. Now, look. The Robert Garcia thing is going to be big. Rob McCracken out, the old AJ team out. He made a big change here. This could change a lot. But even before I get into that, some Fight Week comments spilling in. AJ says it was ultimately the southpaw nature of Usyk that gave him trouble. That if Usyk was a righty, he would have knocked him out. You buy that? Does that make sense? AJ says, I've always had issues with lefties. And it really just came out in this fight,
1: uh, Brian. I I don't buy that, BC. Like it's it, it, this is this is the thing with AJ, and I think this goes back to this is another sort of quiet reason why fans here have a hard time, and, and just a lot of fans have a, a hard time really believing in AJ because. He, for all of his attributes, for all for his size, his you know his power, the the cl- na- just clear natural athlete that he is, the fact that he is a good guy who seems to want to learn, all of that, he has a little bit of. The, and the longtime boxing fans will know what I mean. He has a little bit of. And I, I, I hate to say it, he has a little bit of Victor Ortiz in him, right? The oh my the welterweight. God. One-time champion, not all the way, right? I mean, but the way you could put the uh, a microphone in front of Victor Ortiz and have no clue what universe the words that were about to come out of his mouth were emerging from, and, and what sort of thin like sense of reality he was pulling it from, and and AJ has that where he will just say something that sounds so clueless and crazy, like oh it's be- oh it's because he was a southpaw that you think that was the idea how many I hope he's watched that fight more than like the three four five times most fans or, or we have because I think you could watch that and be like it isn't just because this man is left-handed that he you know yeah. was his movement gave you trouble that his face gave you trouble that he outthought you that he that he came in and sort of took the fight from you early on that he did that he just that he has that that his motor basically wore you down even after AJ really stood up a little bit and made some you know had a a little bit of a comeback first in the fifth and sixth when he was landing the right and uh, you know to upstairs and then later nine and ten had some some body shots that looked like they they also got to Usyk a little bit but eventually Usyk had more in the gas tank to close that strike fight strong and have AJ really looking almost out on his feet in the 12th um you know if you think it's just because of the left hand you're you are you you know you need to get a, a VO head check put
2: some face lube on that thing. Well, that's a perfect transition here, which you mentioned the body shots. When I rewatched it with Luke Thomas, he kept saying, not enough body shots. He was right. There were little moments when he had success there, and you're like, that's how you slow down in Usyk. Since joining forces with Robert Garcia, the great Mexican-American Southern California trainer who is, if it, if he has one great skill, along with being an offensive style of coach, I think it's taking someone who's talented but a little raw, think Marcos Maidana, heading into those Floyd fights, and, and just... Carve, you know, f- almost what Trevor Whitman's doing on the MMA side, and in, 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 you may not be as jived into the skin. What are we talking about here?
1: Robert. Ooh, I like it, though.
2: Yeah. But going to the body with a Robert Garcia as your trainer sounds like a great idea. Did you see the promotional videos or whatever that are coming on social media of Robert holding the bags and AJ just digging for gold? It's like, you know, Emmanuel Stewart What's to, to the body, son! This could change everything. If you are getting an aggressive AJ who's looking to set the pace and tone and is willing to get, not dirty, but grimy, it's gotta fuel your advice that really, this second fight could be completely different. Your your perception of what it could be.
1: It could be, Brian, but, if you look back at that first fight, how come, why Why do we think that AJ managed to have a little bit more success to the body later in the fight? I don't think it's because he had no idea that he might want to try and attack the body of a much like faster footed opponent. I think it's because Usyk was just way too fast and was in and out before AJ could really do much to him in that regard. I don't know if that's really gonna change in that fight in, in, in this fight I, he I think that AJ should try if it, if he you know if he like that should be on his checklist but that's that's a tall order to ask against uh, one of I mean one of the best movers at heavyweight we've seen in in this era and just has uh has got quite a just a beautiful set of wheels on him i mean what what a you know just he's got legs and he knows how to use them brian
2: yeah he's good you know he doesn't have pacquiao sized calves but as triple g once said i like beautiful guys and he's his style certainly one of them um this is look stakes couldn't be higher Three of the four belts. In theory, the winner's going to advance on to fight Tyson Fury. <laughs> in theory. We'll find out. You know, we want an undisputed champion, one face, one name, all that stuff. For AJ, it's another chance at redemption, and, and it would be a big one here, especially if he can make it a different fight. Is there any part of you that looks at Usyk and says, okay, AJ didn't, in, in all reality, AJ did not have enough success or enough sustained success in the first fight to really have a chance at one of those robbery scorecards. Or if not robbery, one of those, man, did they give him the benefit of the doubt in every round. I mean, look, coming into that, some of, our, some of the predictions, I predicted Usyk would win, but some of the predictions are like, your eyes will tell you Usyk will win, but typical boxing, AJ will get a majority decision win. I have to believe things will be closer in the rematch. I think AJ will fight better. I think the Robert Garcia relationship is a smart one. Is there any part of you that would advise Team Usyk to come in here not looking to get 12 rounds in a, in a second win, but to come in here and find out whether that chin of AJ will be up to the level of the balls that he'll need to win this because you wouldn't outright call AJ chinny, but he's vulnerable. And nobody hits more direct, as we saw early in that fight, than, than, than Usyk, whether it's a straight left, whether it's the looping variety that he took Bell U out with. What if Usyk just says, I got to go out there and get it? Is that in play?
1: I don't, I don't see Usyk going out there with that exact mindset, but I think that he is, he won't be afraid to try and seize uh, an advantage if he really sees that AJ is hurt. And I think that it, you're, I mean, look, I might call AJ chinny. He's about as close to chinny as you can get without being out and out. Like, uh, I don't know about that guy's chin. Um. He, he does not, and even when he isn't, hurt by a by a shot it seems like he is discouraged every time he gets punched and it's it's boxing, right? It's boxing at the highest level. You're fighting an Olympic world champion, a guy who is undefeated, who is who is unified at cruiserweight, who already beat you. He's going to touch you, all right? So AJ kind of, I, I don't know if it's more mental with him or he's just, or if it's mental in the terms of he gets discouraged when he's not having success, when he feels a guy starting to hit him, or if he's worried about the chin uh, because of the Andy Ruiz fight and some of the other times we've seen him rocked and shaken by a, by a shot here and there. Whatever it is, he doesn't uh, react, respond well when he gets hit, and 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 you could see like AJ, no matter how all the things that he brings into the fight, there's this as a fan, there's a sense that watching him, he's going to like o- over the course of twelve rounds, he can find a way to like the let the wheels come off, almost no you know like like by hook or by crook, which is it's unfortunate because he's a very very good fighter. Um, I think that Usyk. Uh, I could see him getting that stoppage you're talking about BC if AJ really, really steps on the gas early, which might be something he has to do to win, but the risk of that, you know, along with the questions about AJ's chin, whether he's chinny or just a little bit chinny, uh, his stamina, right? We've always seen AJ get tired at points in a fight, and when he gets tired, he then he really looks chinny, and that is when I could see, you know, Usyk not rocking him with one giant shot that ends a fight, but, you know, dragging him into deep waters and tiring him out where, you know, and drowning him there and getting this, getting a, a TKO stoppage like that in rounds, you know, 8 to 10.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And AJ's going to have to lean all over him to try to slow him down. That's got to be, you got to, if you're the bigger man, be the damn bigger man, okay? Don't, you know, don't be fighting like the Figueroas, although it's exciting to watch, by the way, but they give away that height. They get inside, lean on that fellow. Uh, it's interesting, Rafe, you're just saying, AJ's not chinny, but he lives close enough to the chinny district that it spills over a little at times. Is this like you in Detroit? Like, you're not in the, like, crazy area, but you're, you know, you're close enough.
1: Look, let's not call any area crazy. I live on Nine Mile Road, so I live a mile outside of Detroit proper. I Wow, that's so like I Mom's Spaghetti to, area, right? Uh, no, well, there's actually now a restaurant here called Mom's Spaghetti uh, that m M&M m owns, and, and that is further downtown from from around 8 Mile. But,
2: uh, yeah, this is, I think m and studio is pretty close to where I live. All right. I, I take back. Not crazy. I mean aggressive. I mean inner city. That's what I mean. It, right?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a city, it, it, no, I mean, they're obviously- But you grew not, up
2: in New York City, okay? But you're like from, I mean, is it, do people not give you the street cred and respect when you're like, I grew up in Manhattan?
1: I'm a, I don't care, I'm 40 years old. I, I, I you know, I, I injure myself punching doors. Um, luckily, <laughs> I am tall and, you know, grew up in the 90s when New York was a little grittier and you just didn't have to uh, be quite as, uh, you know, you, you could, you, you just learn how to be quiet and stay out the way.
2: Okay. All right. I, I, I'm trying to give Manhattan the respect it deserves. I mean, it's not the Bronx. It's not Staten Island. Okay. Against who? Against who?
1: What do you want me to do? I mean, Teddy, uh, you know, Staten Island, uh, hey, there's a lot of, lot of uh, you know, New York's finest out there.
2: All right. I don't have a pick yet. I'm really teetering here. I've gone back and forth. I've had picks all over the place. I am interested in yours. Our friends at Caesar Sportsbook right now. Usyk has a minus 210 favorite. I expected to see AJ in this spot, but instead, Joshua, a plus 175 underdog. Rafe, it's a Wednesday, but give the people what they want. Give them that Friday prediction right now.
1: Look, I think my my pick to win the fight is Alexander Usyk easily, not easily, but clear. that is what I believe. I think that he has enough ways to win this fight. I think that even if AJ does come with a better strategy and executes it, Usyk is a good enough fighter to adjust to that, figure out a way to weather the storm and maybe make AJ pay for, for the aggression that he's going to, that, that he might show in trying to sort of reverse his performance from the first fight. So I would pick Usyk to win, if I'm a better, I like the value on AJ because I think people are overlooking him. I think people are overlooking the success he had in, in the middle rounds. Uh, the fact that like, wow, I think I would have scored the fight about eight, four. I mean, that's only a couple rounds away from a draw. And I think that if we want to put on our tinfoil hats and start talking what the business wants, conspiracies, all that stuff. And I'm always happy to go there. I do think there are dark forces in the world of boxing, Brian, a man in the black hat may exist. Uh, Would you connect
2: it to the European banks and the Rothschild family?
1: Look, uh, I don't look. You, you tell me what's going on in, in, underneath the Denver airport. I know, I know that's where you go with this. But to me, <laughs> one, day, all,
2: one all, day I'll find out what's really
1: going on <laughs> under there. All I'm saying, BC, is that. It's uh it, that AJ doesn't, if he can make it a little tighter, I think the judges, you know, there's a good chance they could see this fight going in his favor. And we've seen that happen in rematches and trilogy. You know, I mean, if we're projecting out a possible trilogy here, there's always that one middle fight where like, really? I didn't like, like, they gave it to him. I didn't think he deserved it. You know, like, and he's, the business is going to want him to win that fight. Um, he just has to do a little bit better. And that is not... Uh, a crazy thing to imagine happening. I think that Usyk will. I I think Usyk is better. I would predict for him to win the fight, predict for him to be ahead on my scorecards. I don't know if he will get that nod because it's boxing. This happens all the time. You said that Usyk was a clear enough winner in the first fight that no one really feared the robbery score. I feared the robbery scorecard. Are you kidding? I've seen worse robberies than that. <laughs> Half of Omar Figueroa's biggest wins are robberies worse than that. I mean, oh, this, is, this happens it's a, in boxing.
2: It's, a, it's an effective robbery. It's still robbery. It's still robbery.
1: You, <laughs> you were there. You saw what happened to Tyson cave at the night of champions and Temecula, Bryant. Oh, you dude, know,
2: Eskandone did enough. Teddy can relax. Okay. I mean, seriously here. Uh, Rafe, uh, closing out Usyk here, you and I were were day one-ish, but that's because he wasn't on American TV in his initial rise. I mean, his WBSS, World Boxing Super Series Tournament win, is some of the best consecutive elite stretch of hard fights that we've ever seen. AJ, number one, is probably going to end up being, up to this point, the fight for many reasons of Usyk's run, but would you recommend any other performance for someone that didn't follow the rise to find out how great of a cruiserweight he really was.
1: Oh man. I mean, there's so much to choose from there. I think that uh, really the WBSS uh, you know, three fight stretch at cruiserweight when he unified the titles. Those are the most wow performances and the most challenging, closest fight of his career against you know our, our the the you know Latvian uh, our, our Lat well your Baltic brother, right? Uh, yeah, you know, I know you're Lithuanian, but it's right next door. Mairis Brietis. I mean, that one I thought was I, when they were reading the cards, it's like I have no clue who's going to win this fight. Split it was decision, right? Super close, and he, and he yeah. beat him, and like Usyk has made a habit of doing throughout his career, beat him at home in Riga, Latvia, you know, right on his doorstep. Anyway, those, the two, the, the whitewashing of Glowatsky and Marco Hook at cruiserweight, uh, who were both very good fighters at that time. Uh, Hook a little bit washy, but still a big, uh, aggressive, you know, crazy Turkish-German man. Uh, and then the, the close fight with Brietis, who was, you know, uh, probably the closest we've seen to
2: an athletic- it's a great fight. Speed he, had a, match. he had a stand and fight in that one. That was great. Yeah. yeah,
1: and and that's the thing. He was able to keep up with Usyk's feet and stay close to him and really get rough and dirty in there in a way that made it effective. And that he just but again, he ran out of gas a little bit at the end and Usyk closed strong. The guy Usyk of all of his attributes. And this is this is a fighter who outside of not having great pop, uh, you know, as as a power puncher, has almost everything else. The thing that might be number one on that list is just his mental strength, his his ability to uh, to to hang in there, arise uh, to the occasion, find another level when good opponents like Breidis. Or AJ when they find a little success in the middle of a fight, or push him early, or when Chizora comes out like a house on fire and is just doing you know wild like like some of the things Chizora talks about with the with the donkeys and the anal beads in his in his interviews like oh, this that's oh. the kind of action he was bringing in the ring to, to Usyk and Usyk weathers that comes back adjusts and does and and, and takes over the fight and that's because you know how strong he is mentally and that's also another under like we haven't talked about yet it's been a big theme of this buildup you know Usyk is gonna have this is probably uh, gotta be the biggest mental test of his career with every you know having been recently on the front lines of the war in Ukraine and and fighting I mean yeah he fought for his country in the Olympics he probably feels as if he always fights for his country but this is a whole new level of that and he I think he can rise to the occasion but I guarantee you if if he loses and we're Monday morning quarterbacking the loss, we're all gonna be saying, well, you know, of course Ukraine had a big, had to play a role.
2: Interesting stuff right there. Uh, More surprising boxing turn of events, the second half of the movie Million Dollar Baby or Myris Brightis getting the Jake Paul tattoo and putting out the Raisin Balls music video to try to attract him in. I mean, what the hell is your guy doing, seriously?
1: (laughs) Never, God. never, never follow through on the promise to get the tattoo. All right. Right. Vanus Mudderosian taught us that. He said he was going to get a Charlo tattoo uh, if Jermel Charlo beat him. Jermel beat him. You know what he, Javonis had the sense to not do? Get a tattoo of Jermel Charlo or Lions Only or whatever it said he promised he was going to do. Don't do it. Just don't
2: do it. Topic five takes us to this weekend Showtime Championship boxing, still with the Adrian Broner withdrawal. Gonna have a four-fight card. It goes down Hollywood, Florida, 8 p.m. Eastern Saturday, only on Showtime. Omar Figueroa Jr., the former lightweight world titleist who's made his own comeback from mental health setbacks, still in the main event. Sergey Lipinets, the new opponent, the former 140-pound champion who was on this preliminary off-TV card, maybe as a potential you know, replacement if something happened. Well, it did happen. We'll get to that fight in a second. But, Rafe, you and I have covered AB's wild up-and-down career, really, from the beginning. It, it, it coincides with us getting into the boxing journalism game on this level. I mean, you and I once went to New York City and interviewed A.B. in the back room ahead of the Mikey Garcia fight. And it's like, that day he was professional. I'm going to turn it back around, A.B. But you can catch him the next day and it's a whole different one. He ends up pulling out of this fight for mental health reasons, despite Omar Figueroa's sort of uh, aggressive slander after the fact. Do you look at this as almost a good thing that he who has obviously battled mental health t- t- things throughout the years, very publicly kind of knew himself enough to step aside or being so close to the fight. Is it just another weird occurrence in the life of Adrian Broner as a professional boxer?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I hope that he does uh, that-, that by missing this fight uh, and pulling out, A.B., you know, it benefits him in, in the way that he, he needs it to, whether that means, uh, you know, seeking help or just, you know, getting getting away from things, whatever it is he needs to, to get himself right, you want to see that happening. It's hard to say is it better because on some level, I imagine everyone, uh, you know, needs the the, the purse that you're going to get for fighting, you know, in a main event on Showtime. That's a that's a that's a lot of money. And we've seen that, you know, unfortunately, AB, at least publicly, has has said that he has had money issues before. Um, it's not hard to believe that that perhaps he, he overspended some, even though, you know, I mean, knock on wood, I would be very happy if that were those were all lies and he's sitting on a nice pile of cash. Um, but. Uh, you know, it's hard to say, like, what's if it's just one night, maybe maybe mental health can take a break and you can get that money and, and work on yourself later. But look, he did what he had to do, uh, and, and hopefully it works out for him in the end. And, uh, strangely enough, I know this is the exact opposite of what the boxing industry probably is saying about AB right now, but I, this makes me want to see him uh, come back and get another fight somehow, some way, someday. Although, obviously, when you pull out the, at the beginning of fight week and and leave that's a, hard. A, a whole yeah. promotion in the lurch.
2: It ain't easy. And that's why Omar Figueroa kind of accused him of just, you know, not being in the best shape and, and kind of looking for a way out. But let's be honest. Look, the mental health <laughs> narrative has become a, a, a real thing in boxing, and probably rightfully so. I mean, we've, we've seen Ryan Garcia take a step away. We've seen Danny Garcia, you know, getting emotional in the post-fight interview and revealing his battle through Teofimo. I mean, it's, it's – look, it, it can hit anybody at any time – we also saw on Twitter, Tank Davis kind of make some comments, and Ryan Garcia coming back at him. I don't know if you saw this. Could we throw it to the uh, to the tweets right here? Uh, Tank says boxers got to stop using mental health to get out of stuff. Then Ryan Garcia says, Tank, we can go back and forth. What happens in the ring all day, but taking a shot at someone's mental health is out of line. I hope that deleting your tweet is part of your journey. Blah blah blah. Ra guy would then come back. I believe we have got a second. Sweet card here. There it is. Uh, being honest about mental health is strength, etc., etc. Educate yourself. And then Tank says, look, we're just built different. We come from different places. I want to show it. I want to show it by putting the pain on you. That's how I'll fight my mental health. Now, look, I mean, we all want to see that fight. We'll see what happens uh, in that regard. But, but boxing is as macho a game as we know. Could someone use it as an excuse to get out of something? Yes, but I also like that for the most part we're starting to look at this as like, you shouldn't be in the ring unless you are in a spot where you're safe because of how unsafe this game is, at the very least. I got to be happy that people are taking this seriously.
1: Uh, it's look it's of course this is a great it's for the greater good of society that we are taking this seriously it's difficult in a sport like boxing where you know there are reasons why fighters might want to pull out of a fight uh usually i, I look my what i my, my my suggestion instead of mental health let's all just go back to the uh to the to the old school way of of you know pulling out of a fight and say that you know just just Come up with an injury, boxers are always hurt. There's always a legit injury uh, for every fighter after they go through a training camp and are going into a fight. That way it it puts, I feel like it puts people, it puts fans, it puts the industry in a really difficult spot to to try to sort of fight the human nature to judge like, whoa, whoa, do I really believe this now all of a sudden? And like, nobody wants to be skeptical of something like that. But, I, I, look, I, those thoughts do cross my mind sometimes, and that doesn't mean that I think that my mental health is perfect or I haven't struggled, too. Um, I also think that on some level, fans, you know, I mean, some fans really believe uh, and want to support. Some fans, uh, you'll find a lot who are kind of like, yo, I still got to work tomorrow. Nobody cares, you know, what's going on in my head. Um, and it's, you know, it, there's, no, there's no right answer, Brian.
2: Look, I want AB to be fine. I I, I, he's, I always say he's great for the sport, even though, I don't, you know, I haven't always danced with every song he wanted us to, but, um, loyal, loyal. That guy.
1: that's good. That's loyal. Was Was it? That was a bop, right?
2: Yeah. Remember we had those, those rap tracks on the old, uh, podcast and we were playing them Man, that was, that was something. Um, you know, he's 33 and, and I still think if he wants to, he can make fun fights. I thought this would have been a fun fight. We can argue though. This might be even a more fun fight. Sergey Lipinets is not that far removed from you know, losing his 140-pound title to Mikey Garcia. Retiring Lamont Peterson in a legit Fight of the Year contender fought Castillo Clayton to a fun draw. Yes, lost to Jeron boots Ennis when he stepped back up, but he's in his early 30s looking for a big opportunity. Sergey Lipinets versus Omar Figueroa Jr., Rafe, at the very least... How can this not be a phone booth fight? This could be some fun business Saturday night.
1: Oh yeah, look for the boxing fan who wants to see a good fight. This this isn't an argument. This is definitely a much better TV product to watch on Saturday night. Uh, I mean, no, th- as in terms of a fan friendly TV fight. Good lord, I mean they're they're gonna go in there and bang, and both the that's how that's the best version of both of these fighters when they're being aggressive, when they're not having to deal with someone who can make them miss and, and, and sort of make them look like cavemen, you know, just let the cavemen bang. Um, I think that, uh, you know, so, so in that, and, and AB, I mean, look, as much it's, it's weird because we feel like we, we root for AB almost in spite of the fact that he has not been a good TV fighter. He's a great box office draw, and that's a good reason to keep you know giving him these opportunities.
2: Brawl uh, uh, that draw. That was a good fight.
1: Occasionally, okay. yes, but it has to be brought out of him and more often than not we see when he got the big fight against Manny Pacquiao. What did he what did A B do? He basically just survived, wouldn't let his hands go. He still has the reflexes and instincts and defensive ability to make a fight to slow a fight down, prevent himself from getting hurt, but do nothing to win. And that has been the the, the story through so many of the fight of his fights in the last, you know five years almost and and i think that we would have seen some version of that again maybe he would have been good enough to nick a win over omar figueroa maybe not but it, it would have been that kind of fight instead we get lippin yet stepping in who is still, look, Lipignets, I am not always, I, I, there have been times, and you know this, you, you make fun of me about it. I, <laughs> I sometimes can be a little dismissive of, of as a legit championship level contender at, you know, 140, 147, any of these weights. I don't think he is, but I think he is a world-class B plus fighter, whatever in the world that means, right? A, a like a championship level gatekeeper. And you see what happens when he steps up. He doesn't he looks like he doesn't belong in the ring with the likes of a Mikey Garcia, even though I know, oh, he pushed him, he pushed him. Not oh, No, he um,
2: made that hard. See, this is where you and I differ. He gave he gave Mikey the business for a while, okay? How dare yeah, he you? Was a, Maybe he his... was
1: bigger than Mikey, it's true. Mikey never Mikey should have stayed at 135.
2: Maybe the 147 elites are a little too big for him, so you get somebody with huge skill like a boot. They're also just be. way better. The
1: 147
2: elites, yes. Brian. No, no, you're right. All right. But Omar <laughs> Figueroa Jr. has got a chance to kind of put his train back on the tracks. So we wish him well. Have you been, Um, uh, you know, you and I are not podcasting anymore, but, dude, Brandon Figueroa at 122, now 126. Like, I think we're done saying, hey, dude, why are you giving away your reach and height? Because he gets inside on you and he knocks people out, man. I mean, this is becoming a thing. Have you enjoyed the Brandon Figueroa experience?
1: Absolutely. I, I enjoyed it really early on. I think whether it was on Showbox or some of the early PBC undercards I caught him on before he was fighting for titles, he came in. I remember back in the day coming out with a hot take that definitely went nowhere, that Brandon Figueroa was the, you know, was the the sort of like the cool hipster of Ryan Garcia, you know, like handsome, but in a much sort of, you know, much more indie way, He'd, you know, come in with his baby face outfit. And, uh, and at that point in time, I thought he could fight a lot better. That might still be true. We haven't really seen Ryan Garcia fight many, you know, high-level opponents. But, uh, you know, yeah, Brandon Figueroa is real good. And and even though he lost that fight close, you know, to to Stephen Fulton Jr., good Lord, Stephen Fulton Jr., good Lord. I mean, that was a really, really good fight. And he showed that he isn't, like, just another sort of, uh, you know, hardworking. You know, put your, you know, put put your lunch lunch pail hat on. What is it called? That ain't it. Whatever it was, that it has to be your bull, Brian. But uh, you know, he's I not just like parts a, from that guy. Yeah, yeah, he's not just a just a just a tough you know, hardworking guy who likes to get in the trenches and bang. He, he has a lot of craft. He's a really strong inside fighter. And, and he really gave Stephen Fulton Jr., you know, a, a great test and, and one that, you know, uh, they're not in the same division anymore, but I don't think any of us would oh, have we'll been upset to see that again. Exactly.
2: But, but get it right. It's Stephen, Stephen, but cool boy Steph, but now they call him Scooter. I mean, he's blowing people away, too. He's fun as shit. Don't forget the third uh, boxing Figueroa sibling, Omira, the strength coach, also really making a lot of waves and bringing her career to the next level. Uh, And also AB did it for the hood against Pacquiao, okay? (laughs) Yeah, AB did it for the hood, okay? So back off. (laughs) You know I beat that boy, Brian. (laughs) Uh, We close today's show with a fun segment. Rafe, you've never done this type of fun stuff with us. I debuted it last week with Rashad Evans. It's a new segment. This is a box edition of Yes, No or GTFO. I got you. So here's the premise, Raphael. I've got 10 or so provocative statements about boxing and beyond. You will respond with yes, if you agree and tell me why. No, if you don't agree and tell me why. Or GTFO, BC, if you think this is just ridiculous or what have you. I got Rashad to GTFO me three times last time, so we'll see what happens. Oh, I think I can exceed that. Number one, um, hey, all of this Tyson Fury every other day retirement talk is actually gypsy traveler code for we ain't fighting Usyk if he beats Joshua a second time.
1: Uh, can I GTFO, Brian? GTFO. Uh, why? Because I I think that Tyson Fury would absolutely take that fight if Usyk beats Joshua a second time. Will there be as much money in it as an AJ fight? Maybe the guy would have beaten Anthony Joshua twice. On top of that, as much as Tyson Fury likes to go back and forth, I don't see that as is the implication, the idea that Tyson Fury is avoiding uh, well, Alexander. Uzi? I don't know
2: if he's just trying to raise his price, but obviously his message changes every day. But on the odd days, his message is, I'm going to box the guy from the Mountain Man, what, what show is that? Game, uh, some, Game yeah, of Thrones? Yeah. I don't know. Thor, thorn, thorn, store? Or I'm going to go back to WWE. So um, is he just doing that to get more money? I mean, dude, do I believe the fighting heart is there and he's going to fight for the Undisputed Championship? Yes. But it does make me nervous that he's constantly playing this game, which is now no, just a no.
1: tired-ass game. I see. I see. You need let me let me translate that that traveler talk for you. It's not that he is he he has any uh, doubt in his mind. Whatever whatever Tyson Fury has decided on, I believe he already knows what he's going to do. But he loves to play games with the press. Imagine. I think he just gets a huge kick out of this this reality he lives in, where whatever nonsense he comes up with. Oh, I'm going to fight Bill, Big Bill Kazmaier from the 1970s World's Strongest Man competitions. Oh, I'm going to fight. Dar- I'm gonna fight Derek Chisora tomorrow I'm gonna to fight Francis Ngannou like he 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 gets a kick out of the idea that he basically can say you know jump and the press says how high Tyson like we he, we'll report anything that the man says and and treat it take it at face value truth when he's just he's just he's just, he's just playing with people he's he's just yeah, yeah he's he just up on me playing that with time. a mouse yeah, on the yeah i the old
2: podcast because I, mean, I asked this, about him his dad removing an eye- eyeball in a bar fight. Um, all right, uh, number two uh, here on yes/no or GTFO. Hey, Teofimo Lopez Jr. Look good in his 140-pound debut, but the reality remains that what was lost two years in the two years since he upset Lomachenko might not be able to be properly ever restored.
1: I I, I think no, Brian. Uh, look, he is still so young. He was 24 right now. 25 just turned just turned 25 if he goes on to have a long career which he could then he has plenty of time to erase all of that. He fights right in the the wheelhouse of of weight divisions where he will be able to get legacy fights if he looks good enough and achieves and earns the right to do them. Wins belts. I mean, he's he's in a position where he could be fighting, you know, at top rank at 140. Uh, Jose Ramirez, uh, you know, Josh Taylor. Uh, even I mean, look, if if he wants to pick up some scraps of Jack Jack Catterall, good for him. The our our just guy. Pro i mean uh, uh, you know Ryan if that Ryan Garcia fight happens i think you remember Brian years ago on that podcast we used to host we jokingly asked Teo after i think he had just slept Mason Rockhard Menard and uh, and we asked rock him like, Rock Hard Mighty, yes. yeah, Rock Hard Mighty Man. Oh yeah. Well, he we asked Teo what he thought of Ryan Garcia, this pretty boy. And he laughed at you. He was like, that boy does not want a piece of me. I, I think he still thinks that's the case. Um, look, he has to he has to keep himself on track. There are all the obvious questions about uh, whether the the trainer relationship with his father is good for him, uh, and he's going to have but he's going to have every opportunity to either correct that if it's a problem
2: or prove the world wrong.
1: And if right. if he doesn't, then it's not because of these last two years. It's because he didn't.
2: Um, one word answer from you. Is it more likely of really hard fights to make that people think they can make that Rye Guy faces Teo or Gervonta?
1: Gervonta? Oh, God. I don't I, I, Neither more is the most uh, likely. I don't, I don't probably, know if uh, Ryan yeah, Garcia right. wants to fight a uh, fight like that against either.
2: Here comes... Spectacle, skeptical, I hate the sport, Bartholomew again. Let's go to number three here. While playing mythical matchmaker with the four princes, as Kieran Mulvaney calls them, and that's, of course, Teofimo, Haney, Gervonta, and Ryan Garcia, it's fun to do, but, dude, Shakur Stevenson would beat all of them at 135 or 140. Um, I, look,
1: I say pump the brakes on that one a little bit, Brian, uh, so No. Uh, not yet. I see where you're coming from. I might favor Shakur in all of those fights, but let's, really, I mean, like, has Devin Haney done anything to, 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 like, lose his luster? Uh, has, and, and and Teo, while we, we know the drawbacks with him, I could still see him, we've seen him rise to the occasion and win an incredible, you know, have one of the best wins of the last Five years. I mean, that is like a rigondo over Nonito Donaire type win in terms of like the, the, the opponent in front of him. And he deserved that W over Lomachenko. Uh, he was so dangerous that he convinced Lomachenko not to fight his own fight for six rounds to start halfway through the fight. That's what Teo can be. So do I think, do I understand why people would, would reasonably favor Shakur, who seems to really be putting it all together right now? Yes. I might favor him too, but to just say, "Oh, he washes all of them,"
2: uh, no. Why well, we say wash? But God, he he does Floyd stuff. Nobody does Floyd stuff. Okay, you, Devin Floyd Haney. Stuff. Devin Haney. All Stop he does that. is Floyd stuff. I know, I know, but I think Shakur has that second gear that people question. if Haney, really has that like is that go-getting? the gear where he
1: holds his opponent's head the entire fight and punches behind it?
2: Yes, but also, uh, you know, Shakur's proven in the parking lots too. Tough guy outside the ring as well. Hey, let's go to Do- Renonito Donaire, as you mentioned. His recent public tease of eschewing retirement following the Inoue rematch loss in favor of cutting more down to 115 to fight either Chocolatito or Kazuto Ioka. Look, it's noble, it's ambitious, but the dude's 40. This is a really bad idea, Rave.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't see why he has to. All right, so yes, I don't see why he has to cut weight for that. Why won't one of them come up to him? I know he's bigger than them. He probably that would probably benefit him. But why not? Don't you know this? This reminds, this is like the classic Chad Dawson, promising to go down and wait to fight Andre Ward and then getting his ass handed to him. Mistake. Don't don't give that up right away. Don't give that up before you're at the negotiating table. If they end up at one fifteen and he thinks he can make it, I'm okay with that. I I like the idea of one big legacy fight for Nonito on the way out. Yes, he got just washed against Inoue, but that's what, I mean, Inoue can do that. That's what we thought was going to happen in the first fight before Nonito pulled out that inspiring performance. Um, I don't think that the results of their latest fight mean that Donaire is just done. And I think that he can't, like, especially, I love the Chocolatito fight. One, because I think Chapletito is a really, really advantageous style matchup for for Nonito with his counter punching and and just you know his power and that left hook, uh, and also that is an incredible legacy fight. Both of them way at the end of their careers. They hopefully aren't going to hurt each other that bad. That is one to retire on for whoever wins
2: it. I mean, that'd be great. But dude, I thought he was washed after the Walters loss at featherweight, and the fact that he's moved down two divisions. Were you in his late right 30s- or wrong about that? <laughs> But the fact that he's already done this has been mind-blowing, that he fought a new way on that level in the first fight. Dude, there's only so much you can bite off, though. He's got a beautiful wife. Do it for Jaron, right?
1: Jaron, Jaron's practically a grown man now. He doesn't know he's fine. He can be the man of the house.
2: I mean, risk it all at home. Don't risk it all in the ring. You know what I'm talking about. All right, the next one. For as much as we glorify Steven Seagal's portrayal of Detective Gino Fellino. In the 1991 action thriller Out for Justice, his mindly search for Bobby Lupo was actually a sad portrayal of police brutality, reckless use of force, and about 78 other illegal acts the last time I checked.
1: Brian, this is maybe the strongest GTFO you will ever earn in the history of this segment. I don't know how many more times it's coming up, but this is GTFOFOH. Everything I can come up with to that, Brian. It's a movie. It's a great '80s movie. All right. Does, are 90. we worried? Are was it? Was it 1990?
2: 91. Get it All right. right, okay? Well, please. Yeah. Yeah. All right.
1: Sorry, sorry to offend your 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 Lord and Savior, uh, but Brian, it just it, it like this is this is crazy. It's it's a movie. It, it, it's so much fun. It's hilarious. It's it's classic. You know, action movie star. But admit you know, it.
2: In our what? great debate of what is the best prime era Segal flick. Dude, it's marked for death because it's grimier and more realistic. Just admit it,
1: bro. I won't admit that. No, be- I, I, I know you did it, I won't admit it. Brian, it's because Alpha Justice just has non-stop action. It's in the the, the dialogue is ridiculously okay. terrible. There's the I mean, subplot My- with the guy who abuses the dogs. It's no, no.
2: Okay, okay. Uh few are mentioning it because of Triple G's age but there's at least a 25% chance that he can lure Canelo into an angry brawl and win the trilogy in Marquez Pacquiez 4 fashion. Just
1: like many Pacquiao got knocked out in December 2012. Uh, Brian, no, I look, I'm actually with you on this. I, I say yes to this. Um, not necessarily that I see it being uh, uh playing out as Triple G luring Canelo into a brawl but just that there there could even with Triple G's advanced age the fact that he hasn't looked Nearly as good as he did, you know, five six years ago in his recent fights. All of that we understand that Canelo will be favored big, and he will deserve to be, uh, given their recent form. But there's always that chance, and you're giving me a chance to, uh, to quote my favorite Roger Mayweather line, which is from an interview before the uh, before Mayweather Pacquiao three, I think uh, Mayweather before Martin Pacquiao Marquez three, um, and he says he says. Sometimes guys are just made for each other. And I hope that that's the case with these two because yeah. they've given us two incredible fights. And if it's the case again, then fans are going to win no matter who comes out the victor in the bout.
2: Yeah, Youssef Mack used to say that as well. Uh, this Saturday, uh, it's going to be that quadruple header 8 p.m. Eastern on Showtime. But if you tune in 6 p.m. Eastern... On the YouTubes, it's your boy BC and Keith one-time Thurman calling some prelim action from South Florida. So I set that up to ask you this. While both are a bit removed from their fighting primes, a Keith Thurman-Danny Garcia rematch at 154 would still be nostalgic fun.
1: Absolutely yes, 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 and uh, also uh, the, uh, let's not undersell the real main event here, which is that prelim call that you and Keith Thurman will be on. I mean, it's going to be a tug and war of kindness. Uh, we we the fans cannot wait to see you two beautiful galore. music yeah. together. Will you be bringing flutes?
2: Oh, man, that's, uh, yeah. I want, he said he doesn't play it anymore. I'd love to see him grow back the long ponytail and, and yeah, that'd be, I should. I should bring a flute, okay? Not, not You know, a wooden variety. All right, we got to keep it rolling here to, to round out this super show today. Andy Ruiz's decision to tat up his ass cheeks might actually have more to do with his post-AJ upset decline than all those chicken wings he famously ate at Downey Pizza that time. No, no, no! Get your
1: get your timeline, get your Ruiz timeline straight, okay? The ass cheek tattoos did not appear until after the loss to AJ, all right? He Uh, just had his regular Destroyer script across the back. The same tats we knew and loved from Andy, as well as an extra 40 pounds. And and also, get the meals right, all right? It was pastrami pizza, which Andy wouldn't eat because he was trying to watch his weight for the fight. But he was eating healthy with a giant plate of chicken Alfredo pasta. I don't know how he come, this is how, this is how you, you have a performance like Andy did in that rematch.
2: Yeah, that was wild how big he was for that. I mean, this, we got a Luis Ortiz pay-per-view coming up, which you know I could talk myself into even though it's it's extra sloppy. We'll see what happens. All right, a couple more to get out of here. Unknowing Showbox executives would probably allow me three LoadWatch references on air before having a talk with me about public decency in the year 2022.
1: One, Brian, do you think... No, so so I, think the end, I think yes on this because... This this comes out in boxing all the time. It comes out unintentionally. Now people might have an issue with you trying to uh, to slide it in there uh, knowingly, but I mean I've heard uh, you know I've heard commentators and analysts on on Showtime broad championship boxing broadcasts let 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 a load watch slip here and there. It's part they're of like, the Look,
2: sport. He's tired. He blew his load. Right. That's what they're saying.
1: Exactly. So it, Brian, if it happens, if the load comes out. There, you know, you can't hold it in. There's not really anything you can do. That's the whole point of the, the, the exercise.
2: There it is. There it is. All right. Uh, here we go. Forget Tommy Fury or Hasim Rahman Jr. Hardcore boxing fans know the real fight for Jake Paul has been and still is unbeaten troll Charlie Zelinoff. No.
1: I've killed once fighting Deontay Wilder in a gym. Do you realize how dangerous that could have been? How awful it could have been for Wilder's career? It could career? have been awful. It, it, this is, you know, uh, Charlie Zelenoff, I hope you are well wherever you are. And we. I, I never want to think about you in, in the terms of
2: professional boxing again. Okay, there's a bonus one here. Uh, this all-female boxing card headlined by Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall is a really nice idea, but there's no chance Rafe will be watching. <laughs> All right, it was great. It was great to see I'm you. I'm You're not a misogynist. That's a joke for the old-school uh, pod we used to have. There it is right there. Uh, Rafe loves him, some of that. Hey, by the way, that video feature you guys did for Texas Monthly on Ginny Fuse, uh, U.S. amateur star tor- turned top-ranked fighter, was good.
1: Yeah, Houston-based Jenny Fuchs, back when she was going into the Olympics a couple of years, last year, I don't know, whatever it was, she, uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you talk about someone struggling or managing a mental health issue, God, her OCD, seeing her, uh, you know, clean dozens of, of, of toothbrushes every day, it kind of, uh, it, it brings, gives you this really vivid idea of, of the kind of, you know, just the, 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 the challenges that she goes through.
2: No question about it. Rafe, you've gone through some challenges with that left hand. We hope it heals. Uh, I'm sure we love your work on Texas Monthly if we see it. But, you know, it's a close here. If a boxing fan said, hey, Rafe, you're a New York Times bestselling author. We've read your books on basketball, Pinoys, fathers and sons. When are we going to read that boxing book, bro? When are we going to read that boxing book?
1: Uh, I'm, I would, uh, if I'm being honest, I would say never. I would love to write several books on boxing. They're great books about boxing, but, you know, you need to be able to sell it. And, uh, I, I mean, you know, I ain't, put it this way, I got a lot of love for the Hamilcar people. I ain't going to be writing no Hamilcar books.
2: Okay, there you have it right there. I would love to see you more in the podcast game, maybe as a guest on this show. I don't know, you know. I, I'm, I, you yeah. know,
1: I, you, J- Brian likes like Tyson Fury you say jump, I will ask how high. I'm always wow. there for you, bro.
2: Always, indeed. Uh, big fan of yours out there in Detroit. Hope you're doing well. We should hang out in real life sometime, too. I mean, it, maybe. Maybe we should. Please. All right. Uh, Rafe Bugs, enjoy the fights this weekend. Usyk Joshua too. Do you have anything to plug on the way out?
1: uh you know shoot check out if you have you if you've never seen me before and don't hate me by now uh you know i did write three books that i'm proud of um pacific rims uh two and two and basketball love story and uh as a big if you want to check out my name i've written a lot of stuff online about boxing and basketball a lot of stuff in between so um i'm out there
2: yeah and i couldn't plug your your second book anymore the uh two and two mcsorley's my dad and me it's uh a hell of a story. There's a lot of people that I wouldn't expect that have heard of that book because they love McStorley so much and have like a deep personal connection. Rafe, okay? I'm
1: very lucky to be part of that special tradition as well as this one.
2: I hope Mark Kriegel one day does an ESPN feature on the experience between your father and you. Uh, you know, we're good friends. I love your daddy. But we got to go. That's Rafe Boogs. Thank you to Aaron Bronstetter for filling in. Hopefully, Luke Thomas enjoying the vacation. We'll be back later this week. You're going to see me Saturday night, South Florida. Me and Keith Thurman, 6 p.m. Eastern, Showtime Championship Boxing prelims. Don't miss that. You can stream Showtime right now, 30 days free. Go to Showtime.com. You're not going to want to miss Figueroa versus yet It's going to be a banger this Saturday night. Uh, that's all for now. I've got uh, two words, Rafe, for the people. You want to say them? No, yeah. it's on you,
1: baby.
2: Okay, we out. What you going to do about that? I love it. I love it's to over. hear it. Over. Close the show already. It's over. I don't want to do this anymore.